Tell me you didn't drop by tonight just to piss on my parade. But to also check out episode 0022 of A Review to a Kill, our Bondcast here from fanboysanonymous.com, talking about the James Bond series, breaking down all the films, and doing all that kind of jazz. Time for a name check. Tony Mango, M-A-N-G-O. If you need a little more than that, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you my social security number or a passport number. And I'm joined by, is Robert Felice your cover name? I know, but we're definitely going to need that social security number. This is too little to work with. And he is a major player in one of the most dangerous and powerful organizations, Callum Wiggins. Sorry, I would have come up with a line, but my my writer went on strike. (laughs) So... There's no such thing as a free lunch. So let's get some plugs out of the way. Reminder, drop a comment below. Tell us your thoughts on the film and any thoughts that you have on our thoughts on the film. Hit that like button on YouTube. Share this on social media. Make sure that you are subscribed on social media and following us all over the place on Facebook and Twitter and the YouTube channel as well. Help us grow by donating to the Patreon or hitting the join button on YouTube. It's the same thing. And... Whatever you do, as far as the support goes, you know, if you're picking up something on T-Bubble like a Redbubble for the merchandise shops, or you're just sharing this along and trying to, you know, pass the um, podcast or the website to somebody who you think might be interested, all that stuff's greatly appreciated. And we can bring you more more stuff and better stuff with uh, more support. So if you like what you see, toss a buck our way or, you know, spread the word. And that makes you an awesome person. So... Let's start talking the way that we normally talk here with the title. Quantum of Solace. That is the film that we're on right now. It's a title that a lot of people were really, really down on. But yours truly thinks that it is a great title. It was one that I had been waiting for them to use. And I got really, really excited when they had announced that that was going to be the name of the next Bond film at the time. And... It annoyed the hell out of me when people are like, what does Quantum of Solace mean? Oh, this is so dumb. I don't even understand it. It's like, I don't know. Look at the fucking words if you don't understand it, then. It's not like this is that complicated. It's just not the most basic, like, tomorrow never dies. It's like, okay, all right. Well, if you don't know what those three words are, you're a moron. But to me, Quantum of Solace isn't all that complicated compared to something like Thunderball. How you guys feel about uh, the whole title situation? I just don't. I have no idea what he means. You still don't. <laughs> I mean, I mean, after watching the movie, but like, if you're presented with a title, it's like I have to watch the movie to figure out what the fucking title's all about. And I guess that's kind of the same thing with like Thunderball. But you kind of, I kind of got the sense when I went into Thunderball, I kind of knew that was a code name, or it was involved someone called Thunderball. I just think that you. If you present the idea of the title, it's going to be called Quantum of Solace, and certain people are going to say, oh, that's a really cool title, and you probably have to... My immediate reaction, if I was to hear someone say, oh, that's a really cool title, I'd say, why? And, it's just like, and then you have to explain why the title's cool, and then that's the least cool thing that you can ever do with anything, is to explain why it's cool. And so I just... I, I, I don't think it works, personally. What about yeah, you? It's, it's... I'm not, like, offended by it or anything. It's just not one of the better titles and as such it fits the overall movie (laughs) see i like the more poetic kind of romantic titles those are my favorites like you only live twice that's one of my absolute favorite bond titles i prefer that over goldfinger 
to me, Goldfinger is like, all right, well, I know it's Goldfinger. It's a movie with Goldfinger in it. And there's a song. The song's great. I mean, so is the only up twice. But like, but, I like Quantum of Solace to me. Sure, it, it doesn't need to be a Bond title necessarily. It could be, you know, a Nicholas Sparks romance novel or some kind of a thing. But I kind of like when they give that sort of extra little flair to something where it's like I could see a title screen popping up that says Quantum of Solace more than if you just go with. Uh, I'm gonna try to think of something off the top of my head, like uh, uh, um, Black Knife, and it's like, oh, okay, I guess that that's a you know code name Black Knife, where somebody's got a knife that's black. <laughs> you know, like I mean, I don't mind the more flowy names of uh, movies, but to me, when you just see Quantum Solace, it might as well just be called Banjo of Serenity or something like that. It's just. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd watch that movie. I'd watch Banjo of Serenity. <laughs> but, but it is just, I mean, I know what Solace is. And and after watching the movie, I know where the quantum lies and stuff like that. But it's just, it's just two words in between of that you just wouldn't, you would never put in a movie title, realistically. Like the only reason why anyone came to see this movie is because it's a Bond movie. If they, they actually just came out saying, oh, there's a movie, new, new movie coming out called Quantum of Solace. Like ten people would go and watch it. Now you do have a point there because nobody went to see the rhythm section. I have not seen it either. That's like a spy movie. It's something I don't know for sure what it is. And I was just sort of like, well, it's uh something. Won't bother to see it because it was called the rhythm section, and I didn't hear any great reviews or anything. But. I knew the title from the short story. I didn't read the short story, but I knew the title. So to me, I was just like, ah, oh, this is so cool. They're doing Quantum of Solace. This is great. Like, we finally get to see that. So I enjoyed that. But that brings us into the discussion of alternative ideas uh, for titles, because, of course, you know, we talk about that all the time whenever we get a chance to. And, of course, transliterating some of these uh, foreign language titles. Some of them just, you know, they try to reword the same sort of things. A lot of it is way more uh, complicated than it needed to be because they just tried to keep that going. So we've got for Bulgaria, Spectrum of Consolation. <laughs> and that's like what this kind of seems like uh, the trend is here. Like it's a lot of that. There's um, a grain of comfort in Croatia, a little consolation in Estonia. You like a, a greener comfort? Yeah, because it's it it gives the the desert vibe that they're going for in this movie. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's kind of cool. That's happened a lot throughout this series. Or Callum will say something and it'll be like, "Oh, got it." So thank you, Callum. Yeah, but you still you ruined the whole mom thing. <laughs> <laughs> Head cannon to me. I don't. I'm not even turning, uh, putting the um. What's called on the uh, subtitles? I'm not doing that. Mm. Like, no, nah. he's calling her mom. <laughs> in Estonia, there's 007, a little consolation. I mentioned that. Uh, in Hungary, there's the silence of quantum, which means nothing really, all that much, especially because they don't get silenced. Japan has 007 comfort reward. Yep. You know, I mean, in Japan, men come first. 
The Philippines has evening prayer. That's never anything I'm going to think of when I think of Bond. No, and there's not even anything that could translate to that in the movie. Romania has his part of consolation. That's terrible. His part of consolation. Ugh. What is his part of consolation? Can't be the penis. <laughs> Slovenia has quantum of compassion. I guess they just don't have a word for solace. Taiwan has 007 quantum crisis. Uh, Ukraine has 007 quantum of mercy. Again, probably no. just don't have a word for solace. Uzbekistan has quantum gift. I guess it's like the little gift bags that they got, you know. And Vietnam has norm of comfort. Like, yeah, it's a norm. Hey, norm. Hey, norm. <laughs> norm. <laughs> That'd be great if that just happens in the movie. <laughs> oh, Norm, you're so cozy. <laughs> um, the tagline. At least the only one that I could find was revenge will bring him no amount of comfort. So it goes completely against the title. It's like a little bit of comfort or none. So it might as well oh. have been called possibly some comfort. <laughs> James Bond, all or nothing. Everything or nothing came out around this time, I think. That's a playoff of Eon Productions. They everything or nothing productions. Good game. Not the best game, but that uh, the bridge level is so good. So some random notes before we get started. Charlie Chaplin's uh, granddaughter is in this movie. She's the hotel receptionist. It would have been better if she had a sign She just starts uh, doing like the little dance that he's got. She's got a fake mustache on and everything. Gal Gadot had tried out for Camille. And according to one she, thing, she uh, she could totally <laughs> she could be a great Bond girl. I'm surprised yep. that she hasn't. Wow, Gal Gadot's great. I think that she potentially could have been a better Camille, but I do like Olga Kurylenko in the role. So uh, I don't know how factual this is. I didn't get a chance to double check it with other sources and stuff. But one thing had said her trying out for this role is what got her into acting because she liked doing that so much. So if that is true, then we have her screen test for uh, Quantum of Solace to thank for her being Wonder Woman. Bless cool. this film franchise. Let me give you guys a random guess of the well-loved and celebrated actor that had reportedly been interested in playing General Madrano. Hmm. The idea behind the game is I highly doubt that you guys are going to pick this guy. But when I saw this, I was just like, okay. what? <laughs> okay, I'm going to assume that it's someone who just totally doesn't fit the role. So I'm going to go Kevin Spacey. Not Spacey. He was supposedly in the mix for the next film. Morgan Freeman. Al Pacino. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's not. It's not the worst thing in the world. Slightly visually, but no. I just picture Madrano just being like, you know, I killed your father. <laughs> kind of thing. Like, he screams everything. I love Pacino when he's going nuts. 
He is just nuts. He's like Jack Nicholson. Like, he's never bad in a movie. If he's bad in a movie, he's still fun as hell to watch. One of my favorite lines uh, in any Al Pacino movie is, How fucked up you are! <laughs> uh, love him. Everybody check out Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, by the way. Such a good movie for Pacino and everybody else. He's got a great line in there of, uh, You were meant to help us, not to fuck us up. Kevin Spacey's in that too. Amy Winehouse was working on the song. That would have been better than what we got. She could have done an amazing Bond theme. She was perfect for it. And they ended up having a whole bunch of issues with, uh, you know, her drugs and producer stuff and whatever. So that didn't pan out. And we got what we got, which we'll certainly talk about. No other note here before we get started. He does not say Bond, James Bond in this film. Lots of, lots of, uh, this doesn't happen, huh? Yeah. That's, uh, that's something he doesn't do. He doesn't order a vodka martini, shake it not stirred in this. There's Uh, no fucking, uh, gun barrel. And I don't care. There's no gun barrel because it doesn't happen when it should. So it's not there. No, none of that. He doesn't get the girl in the end. He doesn't kill the main villain. And he doesn't have a single scene with Medrano. Mm-hmm. So this movie is just a fucking mess. <laughs> this feels very... So we got this property, but we're not going to do any of the iconic stuff. Because we're special. Mm. That plus writers. there's that whole writer strike that really killed the film. I think it was something along the lines of, uh, it was Haggis maybe, or Purvis and Wade. Somebody, I think it was Haggis, had submitted their, like, I don't know if it was their final draft of the film, or at least the final draft of the film that they could submit, like, two hours before the strike. So this film is partially written by Daniel Craig, partially written by the director it's partially written by just people on the set and it shows the director by the way mark foster i was thrilled when they announced that he was going to be a bond, uh, doing a bond film because he does one of my absolute favorite movies of all time stranger than fiction i think that movie is absolutely amazing it's like one of my comfort films it's one that i've seen a dozen or so times, and I still find new things to love about it. It's not for everybody, but if you hate this movie, Quantum of Solace, I still say give Stranger Than Fiction a chance because it's a completely different movie. It's Will Ferrell, but it's not Will Ferrell. It's the type of movie where, like, if you didn't know who Will Ferrell was, you would think he was a different type of actor. He's not doing the Will Ferrell shtick. And it's just, uh, I I could go nuts on that. I'm going to do something on it at some point. Like a deep, deep dive into how amazing that movie is. But my overall idea about this film, and you guys might reflect my opinions, pretty sure, this didn't need to be made. I mean, you need another Bond film, but fundamentally, the story and everything, it serves no real purpose other than the final five minutes. If you tack that on to the end of Casino Royale, you don't need this movie. Now, to be clear, there are several movies in this franchise that you can probably, you know, 
put that label on. Doesn't need to be made. But this is one film that I immediately was just like, yeah, that won't last long in the memory. And I'm kind of glad it was the shortest because (laughs) I wouldn't have wanted to sit through anymore. I won't necessarily echo the statement that it shouldn't be it shouldn't have been made because I feel like you do need to have a bit of a buffer between Casino Royale and, and uh, Skyfall. You needed something here, whether whether it like fulfilled the role as well as it could have done is a completely other question, and it, it doesn't. But I feel like there it was necessary to put another film out before you get to Skyfall, and. But I will say that my general consensus out of the movie is that all of the best parts out of this movie are tack-ons from Casino Royale. So essentially, if Casino Royale hadn't happened and you just have these little... Well, it did happen. It obviously did happen. But if you... The only real moments where you get interesting, where you get introspective into Bond's, how he's coping with the situation and how M is trying to deal with him and the thing at the end of the movie... All that stuff is actually really good, I find. But that's all stuff that is only predicated on the fact that you've seen Casino Royale and you enjoy Casino Royale. Everything else that is kind of just window dressing and it's really boring window dressing. Mm-hmm. Like like really like plain beige curtains and stuff like that. It's just, just doesn't have, again, like as Rob said, it doesn't live long in the memory. The only things that I took away of any real interest are the stuff that was just immediately directed to uh, based on what happened in the previous movie. So how did you like, Tony, because you probably saw this in the theaters. Oh, yeah. How did you like having a Bond film with continuity? The continuity, I about 75% enjoyed. And we're going to get to this uh, in, in some other fashions, but when I walked out of the theater, I thought, that's kind of cool. Like they're following up with what they did, but holy shit, did they really need to start it like five minutes after the previous movie ended and make it seem like we're going to go back to this? Uh, well, a whole lot. Now he's James Bond. It's, it felt very tacked on. And I was like, you know, I don't want the next film now to end with you know, Bond walking away from M at the end of this movie and being like, and then shots are fired and then something happens. And, you know, like, I was like, don't start doing that. Don't make it to where it's like every Bond film has to end right at the end of it kind of a thing. But I did enjoy that there was more of an effort to acknowledge what came beforehand because, I mean, we've talked about it before. Some of my favorite elements of the series is when they acknowledge some of the movies from beforehand where it's like, you know, Spy Who Loved Me where... uh Anya says, you know, you were married before and whatever. I don't like it when they do it too ham-fisted. Like, uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, where he's literally like, here's from the one movie and the other movie, and I've suddenly got Honey Rider's belt and knife for some reason. But I liked that they had more continuity behind it, because if we're gonna start the franchise over again, we might as well try to do continuity. And this is before the MCU had gotten into the mix and everything. So people weren't used to the idea of like long continuity, but we still did have, you know, sequels that worked well. And if this could have been done better, this could have been Godfather part two. 
as in not as good. I mean, come on. But like, actually, you know, not only Godfather, but Terminator and Empire. They're great examples. Dark Knight as well. Now I'm thinking about it. Great examples of movies that are follow-ups to the other movie where the other movie technically is better. But if you combine the two, it ends up being one really good movie. If Quantum of Solace was good, that would be another one of those. Because I think we all are in agreement if we have seen them and stuff like that. Like uh, The first Star Wars is great, right? Yeah. Yeah. Empire feels better. But it's built on what happened beforehand. If you just watched Empire Strikes Back, you'd be like, why do I care about these people? You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Terminator 2, my favorite movie of all time. The reason it's so good is because we had Terminator 1 first. And Terminator 1 is fucking great. Godfather Part 2. Everybody loves Godfather Part 2. But I, I'm confused. Are you making the point that sequels are good because... They follow good movies, which is yeah. Yeah. It's basically saying that you, you like sequels are good if they if the first movie is good. No, not so much that. It's more so if you can make a movie that follows up on a great movie in just enough of a way, like a Back to the Future Part Two or something, where you build upon that and you round out the story. Even if the film itself is not a better film standalone, most of the time people attribute that as being a better film. Like, I would rather prefer Batman Begins than The Dark Knight, but most people like The Dark Knight better. And considering the strength of Casino Royale, if Quantum of Solace was 40% better, I think people would think Quantum of Solace could be potentially better. But it's just flat out not. <laughs> so it's just like, it's just a movie that ends up being like, it reminds you how good Casino Royale is because this is like tacked on crap to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm getting your point across. It's just, yeah, but it's, it's like a lot of sequels, you have to build off the premise that everyone already knows the character knows the story from the previous one and can move forward with it because it's different with the bond one especially in the previous ones because a lot of them were just pretty much standalone stories so you could just jump in to watch i don't know octopussy for the first time and it's just okay you're introduced mm-hmm. to bond you you get more of the experience if you've seen everything else beforehand but if not then you can kind of just sit down and enjoy it Whereas this one, it really does matter that you've seen Casino Royale beforehand. It's like walking into uh, Lord of the Rings, the the two yeah. towers. Yeah, and right. It's like, and you haven't seen the first of the rings. Like, why are these two people in a boat, and why are these three like guys wandering across the uh, the fields or whatever? It's just some of the trees. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the trees. Of, the trees were introduced in the two towers. So I know, but <laughs> even then, it's even more confusing because then you're like, did they explain that in the first one? And it's like, nope, it's just trees now. You know. I, li- I like those movies. So. Oh, I think that uh, Fellowship is great. And the, the overall package of the three of them is amazing. But there there's definitely moments where I'm just kind of like, yeah, you, uh... <laughs> but yeah, you do you do get the sense of like, especially like like you say with The Empire Strikes Back. I think The Empire Strikes Back is a better movie, but it's not... But you can't just watch it on its own. You have to watch the previous movie to mm-hmm. actually appreciate it. X-Men so. 2 as well. X-Men 2 is a better movie than X-Men 1. But you go into X-Men 2... You know, suddenly Wolverine's just there 
and you know it's it, i mean it's slightly different with a lot of other movies though because as soon as i see another movie with a two next to it i don't i won't watch it until i've seen the first one right it's like because who, who does that who watches the sequel yeah. to a movie before they watch the which first is one? kind of where i was going with like i'm confused as to why tony was making the point because yes most people understand you need to watch the original to follow it up yeah. but but it is different with bond because bond doesn't do right quote, sequels right. and this is the first kind of attempt at a sequel to the original movie but because they don't put numbers against it and if people were just like familiar with the old style of the franchise they would have thought okay i could just go and see this one i haven't seen casino royale but i'll just start my bond journey here and he yep. goes oh i don't i don't know who who's vespa who's who's the person we're talking about all the time it's like she's not in the movie at all yeah, it's and a completely then, different type of franchise than because you, you can kind of do that even with the MCU. Like you can watch Guardians of the Galaxy and not have seen Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and you get what's going on with Guardians. But of course, you can't watch Infinity War. Although some people have done that, some people are like, oh, "I started with Endgame," and it's like, "What the fuck is the matter with you?" Like, I I very 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 rarely ever don't watch. Something from the like the minute it starts, the second it starts, even because sometimes the first line is like really important. And I don't watch things on TV where it could be edited, and I don't watch movies like the third movie and then the first or whatever. There's been like a few instances where that's happened where on a whim I had seen Bad Boys 2, never seen Bad Boys, and I actually saw Lethal Weapon 4 before I saw the first three, and I did not like Lethal Weapon 4. Eventually watched the first three, and now I love all four of them, because they're just, it's better. Plus, I got older. But the Bond series is something that people tend to do that with. Like, yeah, I'll go see the new Bond film, whatever, it doesn't matter. And this really set the tone of like, no, you gotta watch that other thing. And also, watch the other thing, because it's so much better. (laughs) But then if you're, like, let's say you're just getting into the series, and you go, oh, wait a minute, do I have to watch all 20 of these films? Right. Yeah, and then you're confused when you find out, no, none of them actually follow up. And then still, of course, you get more out of it if you did, because then when they subvert tropes and stuff, you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like Speaking of getting more out of it, I feel like this conversation has gotten more out of me and will last longer in my memory than <laughs> the actual film. That's true. <laughs> you got to pad the, uh, the runtime a little bit for this, right? But let's go ahead and start this film with the way that we start off all the films. Let's start with the gun bar. Damn it to hell. <laughs> that was my thought watching this movie. I'm like, they fucking ended the other one. Like, they, he's now Bond and you're not going to do the gun barrel. I was pissed. No, because wait till you see how they end this one. Uh, I was real annoyed. I was like, oh, great. So now we're just not doing that. Fucking great. We're too good for the gun barrel now. Ugh. I think there's there is fundamentally no reason why they should have not put it at the start of this movie rather than the end of it. Right. I, there's like, I'll I guess it's this. what they're trying to do. I guess it's what they're trying to do. I just don't think it's necessary. It doesn't like like I get the sense of what they were doing, but it doesn't make me feel like this movie's any better because that's the way they decided to approach it. That is exactly a line that we can approach, uh, we can attribute to so many things. I get why you're doing it, but it doesn't make it good. (laughs) Which is exactly what was going to come out of my mouth, so I'll shut up. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, I get it. You're trying to, you know, establish your own uh, footprint in the series, but just, you don't 
fucking change the McDonald's formula. You don't do it. New Coke sucked. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, anytime that a director or somebody does like the whole, like, we want to put our spin on Star Wars. It's like, oh, see, you want to be the person who fucked it up. Ryan Johnson, Last Jedi sucked. Now you have J.J. Abrams doing interviews going, oh, yeah, I've actually learned to have a plan. Like, ah, who would have thought, you know? (laughs) So instead, uh, you know, I mean, we've had eight, like, now he's James Bond moments in the last film. Instead of starting off with the gun barrel, purely for the sake of it, we're not. We're starting off with not even something worth diving into. Like, oh, man, because we sacrificed that for something else. We start off with a garbage car chase. It's edited like they were told to take every other shot out and purposely try to give the audience a headache. It, it's edited like an episode of Monday Night Raw. Yeah. That's what I was going to say for that one. Fucking Kevin Dunn. And uh, like, behind the production here. You know, maybe it's a good car chase if we could see a goddamn thing. But it's like a shot of a tire, a cloud of dirt, Bond's eyeball. Like, it's frenetic and not in a good way. Because some movies you can do that kind of thing because the point is to try to be like, oh man, like I'm so pumped with energy. Like, a, uh, I don't know, this probably might not even be a good example for it. But the first thing that popped in my mind was Run Lola Run, where it's like the movie is like energetic. And that's the point. This is more like it's got ADHD or something. Like the shots are an eighth of a second long, it seems. For context, it's 2008. And I feel like this is very, oh, let's get get wild and let's just have, you know, these tense moments and these explosions for the sake of explosions. I I think that's very much a staple of the time where let's just make it seem cinematic and loud and it's just the vibe I got. Like, okay, this is one of those types of films. I hate this car chase. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. work. And, yeah, it, it, it's badly shot. And, I mean, you get the context behind it eventually afterwards. It has a nice punchline. I don't think so. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I mean, not the line that he actually uses, but the actual just shot of Mr. White in the, in the trunk. At least it, that's the moment that you realise it's continuity. It's like, okay, he's actually just immediately kidnapped this guy and put him in there. But yeah, there's just, it's just a load of driving around in the tunnel, badly shot. Then they go for a quarry, and the henchmen take out a police truck at one point. It's like so many camera cuts. Bond is able to drive alongside the henchmen, shoot them off the road with a submachine gun. The car doesn't explode on impact, so it's not a Bond movie. And <laughs> yeah, that's that's about it, really. It's there's nothing super exciting about this, even though it's supposed to be super exciting because it's a massive car chase at the start of the movie. It's like it's like that. It's like that attempt at trying to get your your blood going straight away. It's like, oh, good, we're straight into the action. And by the end of it, I'm just okay. That happened. Yeah, it serves no purpose, really, because what does it accomplish? We saw that Bond shot Mr. White at the end of the last film, and a better version of this movie doesn't need to have this car chase because it starts off with the gun barrel and then them taking in Mr. White. Like, it, the car chase itself actually doesn't 
drive the plot forward in any way. It's a car chase for the sake of a car chase, and it's not a good one because you can't see anything. So it exists just literally to be like, hey, stuff is happening. (laughs) Can't say it, but stuff's happening. Guys, it's an action film, you know? We get to see our first of many location cards stylized with a particular font. It's very try-hard and self-aggrandizing because it's like, oh, I'm so poetic. I'm going to use these fonts that kind of work with the environment. Very 2008. That's just how I felt throughout this entire thing. Very of the time. Very, I'm moody, but I'm going to also be extreme, but with like an X. I just... Safe to say I wasn't much of a fan of this one. Mm-hmm. And it ends the sequence with a freeze frame, like it's a opening of a goddamn 80s sitcom. Like, uh, you know, nothing's gonna stop me now. Do, 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 kind of thing. He doesn't even have a good line. He just says, it's time to get out. He might as well have said, that's the opening. <laughs> you know, or something. I don't just ask him if like he's like enjoyed the ride or something like that. Yeah. Like if you're gonna have a punchline, have a punchline, not just that's over. Or alright. Yeah. I parked. Now, did you enjoy the ride? Uh, you know, sorry for the bumpy ride, even would have been like not good, but it would have been at least like something. Uh, it's time to get out. Of course it's time to get out. You have another fucking trunk. Not a fan at all. And then, of course, so in the movie theater at the time, I wish I had notes from back when I did this. I don't think I had written up. uh, I think Skyfall was the first thing that's on Fanboys, actually, even. Um, But I remember walking out of the movie theater just being like, I hated this and this and this and this and this. And I'm already mad about the gun barrel. I already hate the car chase because I can't see anything. I already don't like the line. I hate the freeze frame. And then we start getting into our main theme. <laughs> and the visuals are okay. Nothing too memorable. They're created by uh, MK12, so they got different people to do it this time. They did the GUI for Stranger Than Fiction. Um, again, just such a great movie. Uh, but the song... As a song... It's okay to listen to. As a Bond song, it's fucking terrible. As a theme for this particular movie, it really doesn't fit. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I personally, I like the visuals. I think that obviously you get the sense of, okay, we're going to be spending a lot of this movie in the desert. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of gun shooting. Like, I like the, the shot of the gun, the, the, um, the bullet going across the desert. I kind of like that thing. And you get the return of the hot women silhouettes in this as well, after they were missing from Casino Royale. But the song itself. So I don't I'm not as I say, I'm not against the lyrics. I'm not really against the rhythm that it goes for as well, because there's a lot of like piano in between it as well. And I don't really mind the, the guitar and the trumpets and all that other stuff. It's just. Why did they hire both Alicia Keys and Jack White to sing this one? I know Jack White was the one that composed it. So that makes sense. So why is it not just Jack White? Is Jack White not a big enough name to do it on his own? Do you have to 
you have to include Alicia Keys in this as well to to do it. Can Jack White not just compose it and Alicia Keys performs it? Either way, just their voices don't sync up. Mm-mm. So it's like there's two people singing it in completely different studios and they've decided, okay, we're just going to mesh it together and see what happens. And that's made so much more worse because there's just a literal section of the film that's just them going, ah, together. And it's like, God, why are you doing yeah, this? All, You're not yeah, fucking Shirley Bassey. You know? Which is one of those things as well that, and I, I've said this for some of the other Bond movies as well, I hate the bits where it just goes like, where it's, it's just another day to die. And like they uh, and they and they do those little uh, bits of it. And then it's just like Alicia Keys in the background saying, shoot him, bang, bang. It's just like, that's not just sing the sing the verses, sing the like the the bits in between, and that's it. Don't like pepper in these little um, I call them like Mariah Careyisms, where you basically <laughs> just extend something. <laughs> you just like you have this really shitty semblance of like two lines that you constantly repeat, and then you just extend it by just going oh uh, 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 oh uh, that sort of thing constantly, just to build. Okay, we got to four minutes. We're done now. Let's let's break. But yeah. Mariah Carey would have done a, a better huge, Bond I'm, theme, I think. I'm, I'm I'm not a huge fan of it. I mean, it's not. It's I don't hate it, but it's just it just doesn't work for me. It's not something that I would repeatedly go back and listen to. I have the song in my collection. Like I don't mind listening to the song, but I do tend to skip it by the time we get to some of the parts of the uh, kind of thing because it is but, just kind of like I don't feel like listening to that crap, you know. I, I also think the lyrics do make sense about the, the the like the someone that you could trust is just another way to die because that's basically the premise of at least the first half of this movie is that the idea that these people have infiltrated so many different organizations and so you think you can trust this person but he's actually going to kill you. So I I get that. I just don't think so. I, when you sync it up to like the first half of the movie, it's great. And then as we move on, I'll explain how that narrative just doesn't continue for some reason, but. Talk well, about that later. The lyrics, I think, are mostly complete garbage. Uh, and it's like the type of thing that, like, Alicia Keys, I think, could potentially do a, a good Bond theme. I think Jack White could potentially make a good song that could work as a, you know, I mean, Seven Nation Army. He's part of that, right? He's the one that did that? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes. yes. Seven Nation Army start. is fucking great. I love that song. So he's got talent to him. It's not like he's, like, you know, some schlub. But another ringer with the slick trigger finger for, for her majesty, another one with the golden tongue poisoning your fantasy, another bill from a killer turned a thriller to a tragedy. Not bad. I'll go with that. Yeah, a door left open, a woman walking by, a drop in the water, a look in your eye, a phone on the table, a man on your side, or someone that you think that you can trust is just another way to die. Okay. Yeah, I see where they're going. Another tricky little gun giving solace ah, ah, to the one that'll never see the sunshine. Another inch of your life sacrificed for your brother in the nick of time. Another dirty money, heaven sent honey turning on a dime. I'm like, you're trying a little hard there. But then you get into, again, the the like, hey, you know, whatever. And the shoot em, shoot them up, bang, bang. I hate that. Uh. Another girl with her finger on the world singing. I don't know what the lyrics is for this because I see it multiple different uh, things. It seems like it's singing to you what you want to hear. 
But I've seen that other people say, singing, do you what you want something, which I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. Another gun thrown down and surrender took away your fear. Another man there, he stands you stands right behind you looking in the mirror. Yeah, got to kind of do a little bit of license there, fear and mirror. To me, it's just sort of, uh, I don't know. It, it's like bad poetry and... It wouldn't be so bad if they didn't have all those flourishes of the whole like, you know, whoa kind of stuff. It doesn't feel like it's a Bond theme to me. It doesn't feel like it is the Bond theme for this movie, too, because, you know, if you think about it, half of this movie is supposed to be a follow up to your dead romantic interest from the previous film. I think that this should have been more of a love theme. And... I think that they could have gotten Quantum of Solace into a theme. Just having versions of the theme that I've heard other people do, where it's like uh, talking about, you know, all I have is a Quantum of Solace left now that you're gone type of a thing. Much better, I think, than, you know, shoot him up, bang, bang. I like Jack White. I think Jack White is fantastic. I like the Rocketeurs, love the White Stripes. Jack White's great. Alicia Keys in 2008 should have been the one doing the song. If you're going for a superstar, that's what you're going for. You should have had Alicia Keys uh, do a song in her style because it would have kicked ass. When we get to Skyfall, we're going to talk about people doing songs in their style. And it fucking kicks ass. I, I think... I think it was Live and Let Die when you had said, Tony, that they said to Paul McCartney, oh, that's good. Now uh, get someone to do it. And he's like, no, no, we we just did it. I feel like that's what Jack White said here. He's like, no, I I, like me. I I do. (laughs) And they're like, so is Amy Winehouse back yet? I, Alicia Keys might have even been a better choice than Winehouse, but I think Keys should have done her own song. I think in a parallel universe, we've gotten some kind of Alicia Keys, uh, you know that I'm no good love theme called Quantum of Solace, and it rocks. And instead, we got this, which again, of course, as I mentioned, I don't mind the song itself. Like, if this were just a song I came across, cool like i like listening to it but when you can put a song like sting's shape of my heart and say that could be a potential bond theme and you go man that would have been such a better bond theme than something like this just at that point i had already heard the theme of course going into the movie because they released the themes ahead of time that's why we got no time to die already like two years before this movie came out but it's still Well, we'll talk about that in a couple of months or whatever. Whenever the movie comes out, too. <laughs> yeah. Or in a couple of years, you know? Right. So, I mean, the visuals, like we said, like, they're fine. But I couldn't tell you anything about it other than tracking the bullet for where it says Quantum of Solace. I don't remember anything else that happens. Like, it's a good song. It, it will get stuck in your head. But it's not, not a good Bond song. Not good for this. And uh, our rankings for that theme, we're going to get to a little bit later on. We've got uh, 
some uh, of our numbers already sorted out and all that. So we'll talk about that later on. M says that the Americans are going to be upset. And Bond says, well, they got Lashif. And M says, well, they only got his body. And he says, well, if they wanted his soul, you should have made a deal with a priest. I like that. That's awesome. It's kind of like, um, you know, there's some lines in this movie that seems like it was written by a writer. <laughs> They're early on, too. Yeah. You kind of be like, okay, did uh, the Purvis do that? Did Wade do that? Did Haggis do it? Or is that one of those things? I, I don't know what elements anybody did. So it's like, was that a line that Daniel Craig just thought up on the spot? If so, fucking hats off to you. That's a great line. But M shows Bond that Vesper's boyfriend uh, has faked his death. And she wants to know that Bond isn't going to chase after him. And Bond says, no, nope, you know, he's not important. Neither is she. But of course, right afterward, he steals the photo. So, you know, he's going to do exactly that. Good little moment, I think. Yeah. And uh, Mr. White laughs eventually. And he says, you know, this is really funny. Like, we thought. MI6 and the CIA is watching after us and they know what we're up to, but you don't know shit. You guys have no idea who we are, including the fact that we have people everywhere. And just then, one of the agents in the room shoots the other agent and uh, shoots at M, but happens to hit the IV pole right next to her, which you can barely fucking see because it's filmed so poorly and the concept itself is terrible. So it makes it look like he killed her. And that she's not even just shot, but that she's shot dead. The logistics of it are so bad. So when I'm watching this movie, I'm like, did they also just fucking kill M? <laughs> I'm like, you gotta be goddamn kidding me. And it wouldn't have put it past uh, them to do that kind of a thing to be like, hey, you know what? We're going to start this off with a bang. We're going to kill him at the beginning of the movie. And I was just like, I am pissed at this point. Even more so. Considering, now I just explained it, what do you guys think happens during that moment? Does it look to you like he shoots the IV pole and that she just falls backward and then runs away for no fucking reason? Or does it look like anything else? Not pretty shot her. Yeah, I, I thought she would shot in the leg or something. I don't know why they didn't just do that. Have her get shot in the shoulder. And she could be in a sling for the rest of the movie or something. And it could be like the reason why she couldn't do anything and why Mr. White escapes is because she got shot in the fucking shoulder. Not because she gets frightened and then runs away. She's M. Ah. Balls of steel. But again, it's a different M. Yeah, this one's got balls of, I don't know, styrofoam. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm to be honest, to be honest, considering the last two movies, I wonder if all torture is this hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you're two people laughing about it. At yeah, the very least. Like, this, is, this is amazing. I'm just sitting here just doing all this stuff. You can't break me. Just like, I just imagine one, like him just brushing me with that. Um, that uh, rope thing from last the last movie, and it's got. Yep, I'm telling you everything that you need to know. <laughs> well, see, the reason why they cut all that stuff and die another day throughout the title sequence was they were cutting out through all the times that Bond was laughing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they, you know, injected him with the scorpion venom, and then he was just like, "Yeah, this is fucking funny." 
you know, you know, you know. There's, there's something that I was missing from that movie that I'll just I'll just bring up now. Uh, I kind of feel like the the worst torture he went through in that thing was hearing Madonna sing. <laughs> they were just pumping that music in. It's like, no, make it stop. That uh, that techno remix. Or maybe the worst torture is that uh, he ran out of mojitos. <laughs> I saw in the supermarket the other day uh, this like weird mojito drink thing, and I just pointed it out to Caroline, and I was just like mojito, and she's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's right. Like you have no idea what I'm talking about." Wow, you just became surprisingly racist for a second, Tony. What? You <laughs> she's just like, "What about it? Like, what? Why did you say it that weird? Like that kind of like, well, why the fuck are you pointing that out and saying it like that?" Sort of. And I'm like, "Ah, oh, it's because you know in the, the movie that we just did recently it says it's weird." And she's like, "Oh, okay." Do we need anything else? <laughs> like, kind of, my fiance is an idiot. I speak English. Yeah. <laughs> then when she blew you off, you followed that up with a woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Bond goes chasing after Mitchell. Cue a foot chase throughout the streets and on some rooftops. None of it's all that memorable in my mind. Except I like the music. David Arnold's great. I keep gushing about him. It's not the best track or anything, but Palio. Uh, it's just a neat track, you know. You know, you know what I found memorable. So there's a few bits that I found memorable about this, which is uh, Mitchell shooting random people as he runs, which I thought was weird. And I know this is a grittier Bond movie than we're used to, but just seeing innocent people just get randomly killed is just—it doesn't sit well with me. Well, it's because they don't have IV poles in front of them to block it. <laughs> Imagine that being like a running gag cut the film. It'd be like a naked gun thing where like every time Mitchell tries to shoot somebody, it just pops up and he's like, damn it, these fucking, you know, like the rights like with a, such a pop. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every gunshot to the Ivy pole. <laughs> but it's weird because like, you see like just, I think it was like a couple of women just get shot and I feel bad for them as well. But then uh, Mitchell runs up the stairs and runs up the stairs and hits this old woman. Who then drops her crate full of fruit, and she's so upset about it, and I feel so bad for her. It's just like ah, I just I spent all day with this. Oh my god, I'm banking on that. But it wasn't. But it wasn't like it's like they've done that in like other movies as well. They've done it for like some sort of comedic effect, and I looked at that and I I didn't find it funny. I felt it. I thought, oh, that poor woman. She's like she hasn't done anything wrong. It was like it was like again, if it was just like a person who maybe you'd seen earlier in the movie getting angry at people, like. Maybe she was um, walking around with the tray of fruit and stuff like that and got annoyed at some kids trying to block her way and stuff like that. Then it would be funny because it's like, oh, she got her just desserts for that. Mm-hmm. It, but it's just like, oh, no, she's just an old lady trying to put uh, get her fruit up and she they just fall for no reason. It's just so sad. And now that all the fruit fell, she's not going to have any desserts. <laughs> so- yeah, it's just mean, kind of. Yeah. And, you know, like it's not like Mrs. Bell where there's something fun to it. Or even like the wedding shit that we, you know, three different movies where Bond smashes a wedding cake or something, where it's kind of like, all right, there's a comedic element to it. It's just literally this poor old woman losing her shit and yeah. being like, now I need to say a prayer because it's like, oh my God, it's lost like so much money or whatever. Like, and it's just a, it, this whole sequence is a poor man's version of the last film's chase. 
Like Bond is still smashing into things instead of being graceful. And the reason it doesn't work is because the last guy, Malaka, was a parkour expert. And Mitchell's just a guy. So instead of Bond looking like, uh, to borrow the phrase again, a blunt instrument and compared to an expert free runner, now it just looks like Bond's an oaf. Because Mitchell's just a dude, and he's, like, able to jump on the rooftops, and Bond's smacking into things, and it's like, all right, well, so this Bond is not coordinated. That's what we're trying to say. Well, yeah, it's it's that old trope about blondes, isn't it? They have more fun? Yes. <laughs> that, that's some, I mean, there's some interesting visuals with this one, because Bond follows him up to a church ter- ter- tower, he starts ringing the bells as he climbs because he assumes he's a symbiote. <laughs> Shocker! Uh, I'll follow you to the edge of the earth! <laughs> you can't escape me! <laughs> the scene would have been so much better if it would have been delivered like that. Mitchell! <laughs> and then they brawl, and then they fall through this glass roof into a lower building. And then there's just... Again, this ridiculous obsession with camera cuts hmm. because they're swinging all over the fucking place, and it's just like it's way, way, way too much. You don't see this much swinging in the actual Spider-Man universe, and it's just they're going from ropes to ropes all over the place. There's a, essentially my notes here is a load of stuff happens with scaffolding that's too over the top <laughs> to write in notes. I just wrote down ruling nonsense, swinging, swinging on ropes, glass shattering, not exhilarating needlessly complicated (laughs) and then somehow they get like uh, or something happens with scaffolding i don't even know how it works too much but something happens and they get catapulted right back up to the roof they break they break through the glass roof going down and then they break the glass roof going back up as well just like and then bond is left dangling by his leg above the floor literally it's pure luck that he's still alive because it just stops at the last minute otherwise he would just be dead yeah. Like just going straight into gl- broken glass on the floor. He swings around, grabs his gun, he's able to flip around and shoot the guy before he gets his gun because his gun is playing some sort of... um, uh, it's, it's like that scene from The Emperor's New Groove where the vial just keeps dropping down places every now and again. It's just like, the, that's the gun. It's just like, oh, it's on the top level. Oh, it fell down into the bottom level. I have to keep climbing up and down, up and down. <laughs> just, it's just not... It's uh, It's way too over the top. It's a whole lot of whole lot of nothing, and just takes up time. So like, now you've gotten the the no gun barrel. You got the car chase you couldn't see. You got this whole thing with shooting M but not shooting M. A torture sequence that doesn't actually happen, and this whole bullshit. And it's like, all right, we're multiple scenes into the movie, and quite literally, it could have been gun barrel bond puts uh Mr. White in the room and then something else happens or whatever. Like it's, it's uh. yeah, I'm just, I, I was kind of at this point thinking, okay, so I know the writer strike was happening at this point in time. Are they basically just doing a load of these action scenes to try and not have as much dialogue as possible and pad the runtime? Yeah. That's uh, very possible. Mm-hmm. Now the rooftop sequence was something that they seemed to have planned ahead of time. Maybe not in its exact uh, execution, which it could have been potentially better, too. But this is something that they were going to do for On Her Majesty's Secret Service was like a 
rooftop chase kind of thing. And, you know, so this has been on their mind of like, how about we have a scene where Bond's chasing somebody on a rooftop? And they just didn't get around to it. And they decided to do it here and they did it poorly. So this goes to show that sometimes maybe the idea didn't happen before because you weren't ready for it and you shouldn't just force it. But we're back at rainy old London with a title card that reflects that, of course. And Bond and M talk about uh, Mitchell at his place. They're like, you know, scanning things and trying to find some information. She says that Mitchell was her bodyguard for five years. And he'd been in MI6 for eight years. And they didn't know that he was a mole. We're going to come back to this. She exasperates that people use the phrase, we have people everywhere all the time with hyperbole. You know, florists even use it, but you don't expect it to actually be true and for somebody to be in the goddamn room, which, true, I like that. Yeah, I, I quite like that, Uh And she's pissed again at Bond for killing the guy before they could question him. So we're literally just backtracking to the previous film of just repeating some of the same you haven't done the things that at the end of the movie before it seemed like you knew you learned your lesson kind of a thing it's like no you still didn't again another reason why this movie feels like it's just deleted scenes for an extended casino royale kind of a thing and we're introduced to in a very unceremonious way bill tanner now bill tanner hadn't been in some of the previous films but we had seen him in For Your Eyes Only, and he sucked in that one. But he was in Goldeneye. He was in World's Not Enough. Michael Kitchen played him. He's my favorite one, but this is Rory Kinnear, who you might recognize for a couple different things. Rory Kinnear's been in quite a bit of things. You know, the first episode of Black Mirror, the uh, Penny Dreadful series that I haven't seen, but I heard it's good. Yeah, I don't really have anything to say about it. From this uh, thing, he just seems like a um, a guy. Yeah, just another, just another MI6 busybody. Any first impressions from you, Rob? Uh, I didn't really have any. I did enjoy Penny Dreadful. Though. I think you were saying you did enjoy Penny Dreadful. Your connection's I a little did. bit weird. Yeah. Okay, so I was saying I did enjoy Penny Dreadful. <laughs> Um, we'll talk more about Rory Kinnear down the line. He's in the next two films. Uh, well, and he's supposed to be in No Time to Die too. So we don't get much with Bill Tanner. He's just sort of introduced as just a guy talking, and it's like, oh, okay, apparently that's Bill Tanner. But he does get more to do. Bond goes off to lead, uh, to investigate a lead. I should say, not lead an investigation. And. This leads to another fight sequence because, you know, you got to pad the run time. Uh, he's fighting Mr. Slate in a hotel room. Pretty good fist fight. Quick. But, yeah, it's pretty good. I I really thought, because Bond, uh, so they have this cool little fist fight. I think it's pretty good. Some more broken glass. That seems to be a thing. Because <laughs> glass then turns into sand, and that's when you end up in the desert. But uh, Shouldn't have this uh, been called Sands of Time or something? Uh, that's the um, that's the fight name for the uh, WWE's Crown Jewel event. I'm told. <laughs> but, it's uh, also the name of Prince of Persia game. Uh, yeah, that would. They have done Prince of Persia movies, haven't they? They're probably not been good. The John Hall, right? Yep, wasn't that great? Uh, yeah, because he's a um, 
you know he's a classic uh fit for the role of somebody who actually lives in persia yeah that's a that's a that's another story but uh (laughs) i just i just feel like when he stabs him in with the knife at the end of it i thought it was some sort of incapacitating some sort of incapacitating drug but no slate is dead he just kills slate like nice to know you yeah (laughs) he uh makes a tourniquet for his wounds puts on a jacket slate's dead you know so it really served almost no purpose although it's one of those things where it serves the purpose just to get him to do another thing afterward it doesn't really necessarily drive the plot it's just like he goes to a location does something and then finds something to go to another location type of a thing it's it's not great storytelling but it happens because he in the lobby he uh asks for any messages for the room and they give him a briefcase by the way do you recognize the man reading the newspaper in the lobby i'm guessing it's that producer it is charlie chaplin's daughter (laughs) it's it's michael g wilson it's the producer you know he's uh that's his little part in the movie is just sitting down reading the newspaper so anyway car pulls up to bond the woman inside tells him to get in that woman is camille montez they don't uh, I don't think they say her last name in the movie. They might. No, um, it's called Camille. Yeah. She's played by Olga Kurylenko, who had been in the Hitman film that I had never seen. And she is somebody that I feel like she could have been a great Bond girl if this movie would have been better. But it's not. And that's not to say that she's bad, but she's not as good as she could have been. How do you guys feel about Camille? I think she's one of the high spots of the movie because I mm. like her story, even if it is a bit base in some level, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But, yeah, I think that her reasons for getting involved and what she actually does in the movie is pretty It's pretty good. She feels like a layered character. I would agree. Definitely a bright spot of the movie. But overall in the pantheon like she's not one of the better bond girls but she was a really good part of this film so they chat things over she thinks that he's a geologist that she was supposed to meet up with and when he opens up the case sponge just says i think someone's trying to kill you (laughs) which is like that's not a good idea to do that so she immediately pulls a gun on him and you know it starts off another chase sequence a uh, guy on a bike pulls up and says to Bond, you were supposed to shoot her. And he says, well, I missed and slaps the bike out of the guy's hands and steals it. I like that moment. Yeah, that was fun. Meanwhile, M wants to know what happened about Slate and Bond says, oh, he was a dead end. So she just knowingly says, damn it, he killed him. Which I, <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts of this movie is her just being like, oh, God. James always makes quips about this kind of shit. He fucking killed the guy. <laughs> you know? There's like, there's good moments in this movie. It's just that they're kind of few and far between. And we don't get another good of them for, well, we get one little one for the next, like, I don't know how long, <laughs> but I like that. Uh, that little, just damn it. He killed him. And Camille yeah. heads to talk to this guy who will get to know better as the main villain of the film. Dominic Green, a squirrely, meek 
bug-eyed little twerp who sucks. <laughs> yeah, he's not great. <laughs> like, he's completely non-threatening. And I know, as you mentioned beforehand, how you, it's fine to occasionally have the middle a middleman as your main villain, like a person who's kind of working for the big organization. But this guy just feels like such a middleman. Like he feels like someone of such little consequence beyond this movie. He's the dude who's like a manager at an Applebee's and has a big dick about it. <laughs> and it's like, dude, it's just Applebee's, <laughs> you know. Like, Sorry to Applebee's if you wanted to sponsor this. <laughs> I highly doubt that's the case, but you know, you used to make a good chicken sandwich and you stopped making it, so I'm still pissed about it. But uh, he, like, think about the differences between some of the other ones that we've had before. Now, I know that I am higher up on Koskov, for instance, than what you guys are, but you got to admit, Koskov has way more personality than Green. And he seems more capable in some ways, too. And you got like Blofeld and Kronstein and Kleb in From Russia with Love. You got the Blofeld and Largo combination for uh, Thunderball. You got Kamal Khan and General Orlov. Most of the time, the people that are in that sort of middle management role or like subservient to some bigger picture type of guy at least have something that seems like they're interesting and green is the main villain of this film unless you count mr white but it's like tell me something about dominic green yeah he, do, he just doesn't have much of a i mean it's it's clear what his personality is which is a creep but uh, beyond that he doesn't have much of anything that really it extends any element of authority to him. I mean, he does a few things in the movie, which are, as we'll find out, blatant rip-offs of stuff that's happened in previous movies. <laughs> but I... He has a couple of good lines, and you can obviously... He's unlikable, which is a good element to have in a Bond villain, but he just... He never strikes me as the guy that you should be taking most seriously with this one. Like, Madrano gives more of a an error of authority than he does. Yeah, hence why they were even considering one of the biggest actors in the world to play him. Yeah. Imagine and... those two playing off each other, Pacino and uh, Almaric. Like, he would have seemed so out of place. Yeah, this is, this is the kind of villain where it's like, oh, anybody can do this sort of thing when you really break it down there's nothing memorable about him he's not even you know like a fun every man like yeah there's there's blofeld but there's also you know scaramanga who i really feel like could exist or franz who does exist you know like there are millions of drug lords like that like this character you're just sort of like really bond is wasting time with this guy some, you know, twerp banker somewhere, which Bond should just, like, headbutt and kill, you know? It's like he's, he's, a, he's a middle manager. He's a facilitator, essentially. He's probably so far down the pecking order of this actual organization. Like he's the guy they send out to, like, get these deals done. So maybe 
maybe he's gotten promoted a few times and he's pushed his way up the ladder in that regard, but he's he's probably never any gonna be a contention of taking over, let's put it that way. Like he's the stage one boss because you need a first boss. But in the grand scheme of things, by the time you face that final boss, he was nothing. Yeah, he's the uh the guy you give a little bit of power to and you know like uh you ever see like somebody would be like, you know, they got a big head about themselves because it's like I'm the personal assistant to this famous person. It's like, yeah, you get them coffee. If they had a robot that could do what they would do that too. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, but I I But know. I'm the personal assistant to the robot now. Right. <laughs> well, as bad as Green is, there's somebody who sucks even more than he does in this movie. His number two guy, Elvis. His lanky, bull-cut-haired buddy who is the worst henchman in the entire series. Finally, somebody upsets Vargas. And it's pretty bad when it's like, What's the worst person? The guy who stands there and people say Vargas doesn't do anything is literally a, like a line. Or is it this fucking idiot? And I absolutely 100% hate Elvis. I hate everything about this character because a better movie would have done this and this and this and this and this. But holy shit, how did you not realize that you had a tiny twerpy weaselly guy in green and the worst person to be his number two is a lanky twerpy weaselly type of guy like give him a fucking hulk somebody who he has around him that can be the guy that's gonna beat up the people that are picking on green and then that way bond has somebody who he can fight and it matters this is the guy, a green, who needs a Jaws or an odd job. And instead, he's got a fucking somebody who's worse than Gabor. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Yeah, he's just, he's just there. He really doesn't have any real influence in the movie other than just being someone to look out when you're not looking at green. Like, did he sleep with somebody to get a part or something? <laughs> you know? Man, I don't get the it. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like no, this character does not need to exist at all, and he doesn't do a goddamn thing in the movie either. So it's not like he's the one that kills this one character going forward, or he gets a cool death sequence, or he has a single line of dialogue or action in the movie that's memorable. It's like. How great is Boris in compared to this guy? Boris He's is one of the best my henchmen. Favorite henchmen. Probably my favorite. And he's like fun and interesting and he does shit. And mm. Elvis is there. And later on he has a neck brace. And then he dies. Fucking worthless. Ugh. Easily one of my least favorite parts of this film. But we did have one little good moment here. Bond hands a business card to a dude and it says Universal Exports. <laughs> More continuity. So yeah. it's like garbage villain, garbage henchman, garbage this, garbage that. Oh yeah, Universal Exports. That's cool. 
I mean, there's there's one thing that I like in the when uh, Camille goes up to him and talks to him, and so they they basically reveal that Camille slept with Dominic at one point, which made me feel good about myself. For some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> and then um, and then like she she mentioned something, so she's trying to just get into his ear or something like that, and he says the line, "Please don't talk to me like I'm stupid. It's unattractive." Yeah, <laughs> I like that line. That's a line I would use. It's, uh, you know, there are good lines in this movie that can make a better movie. Um, I do like that line. Uh, Green has to chat with another villain, General Madrano. And basically the idea here is that Green works for Mr. White's organization and they've already started to set up a coup where Medrano can become the leader of Bolivia. And in exchange, they're going to own part of a desert that Medrano thinks is absolutely worthless. He's like, you're not going to find oil there. And Green goes, well, you know, we want it anyway. And if you think it's worthless, then all the better for you, right? Of course, anybody that's reasonable would be like, uh, thumbs up. But Medrano's an idiot when it comes to that. And the other plot point that we get more of an explanation on a little bit later on too is that Medrano killed Camille's family and Green gives her to Medrano as a little bonus gift. Just, you know, well, we did this deal and here, here's my girlfriend kind of thing, which of course, sleazy and awful. Well, yeah, he says the phrase, like, he gives her as a sweetener to the deal and says, as long as you promise to throw her overboard when you when you're, when you're done, done with, with her. her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, a, a good little exchange where it could have worked in another movie. Well, I, the thing that I'm most interested about is the fact that during the discussion that Camille has with Dominic, Dominic basically admits that he tried to get her killed just now. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't hide from the fact that, and then he talks about how he's falling for her, and that's the reason why he decided to get her killed, because that's dangerous for him. And obviously he's lying with that stuff. But I just the fact that Camille just hangs around, and she just stays there and just does all this stuff, I, I know what her... Her plan is at least what she reveals later on, but it just feels felt weird at the moment. We just said, "Yeah, I did try and kill you," and she just stays there, and she's still trying to flirt with him in like obviously a fake way and stuff like that. But it's just it seemed a bit odd to me. Yeah, some people are just attracted to toxicity, I guess. Like Solange. <laughs> so many chances to be with nice men. Uh, unfortunately, that just leads to another sequence just to, you know, just do whatever. And I say unfortunately because it's a forgettable sequence. Bond just rides his motorcycle onto a boat chase. I've seen the film like, I don't know, eight times maybe. I can't tell you anything that happens in the sequence except the initial jump from the bike onto the boat and that Camille gets knocked out. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, again, it's just a load of stuff that happens. I can't really bother to write everything down. Like Bond saves Camille when Camille's about to shoot Madrano, and so she's pissed about that, and we find out why later on in the movie. But at that moment in time, he's, he's basically saying for her to navigate while he drives around, and she wants to drive, but he's going to drive instead. And then they just take out a load of other henchmen boats, mainly by just ramming into them, because they can't, even though they're on this really shitty boat, he's managing to beat the crap out of like seemingly really sophisticated um like speedboats and Camille gets knocked out when one boat mounts the back of it 
like a dog in heat. And, yeah. and it um, looked pretty bad, by the way. Like, and, it looked like something that could have happened in one of the earlier films. It sounds like it, it seems like something that would happen in Sharknado, honestly. Because the way it's just that like, the boat's balancing on the back of it, it just was a bit odd. And then something happens, I just don't know how it happened, but it's Bond, it's a Bond movie, so I'm kind of like in the mindset of it, oh, okay, it just happened. Is that he just attaches a grappling hook to that boat and the boat then goes flying. And I have no idea why. Yeah. But it does. It's like a magic grappling hook. I assume it's the idea that it had some sort of anchor attached to it, but I didn't see the anchor. So, but yeah, it, it just attaches a grappling hook and then the, the other boat goes flying and then they just drive around. He gets to a port. He hands over the fact that she, uh, Camille to a waiter selling her that like she's seasick and just moves on. And with that, we're a third of the way done the film. <laughs> that yeah. part I like. What him and handing over Camille. Just like, yeah, that's a third way uh, done the film, and like almost nothing has happened, really. It has just been a load of action sequences, mm-hmm. for the most part. Saban calls up M and Tanner to get a check into Green. That's the whole thing I referenced at the beginning here. I This is really stupid, but somebody pointed this out on YouTube, and I was just like, ah, oh, it's really cool. Um, of like, little things in movies that go unnoticed that are like praiseworthy. He says G R double E N E. And when he says double E, the screen starts to fill in what he's saying and it has a W and then it replaces it with two E's. It's a good little attention to detail that when he says double E, that it assumes that he's going to say W. So it goes W. Oh no. Okay. He says double E. So we'll just put two E's in there. That's one of the th- few things I can say is good about this movie is like a detail like that. They have massive issues with like main characters, but they can do something like that, which is just like, uh, that's insane. But they call up Langley. They ask if there's any interest in green and she is told no. So she says, clearly that's bullshit. He is of extreme interest because she asked about green and the receptionist knew to transfer her to the section chief of South America, a man named Gregory Beam, played by everyone's lovable hopper from Stranger Things, David Harbour. He seems like a, a weird choice to be in this role, but man, is he a fun character. Yeah, maybe it's just the infectious charisma he brings to roles, but yeah. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. He obviously comes across as a bit of a, I, I don't want to say like a sleazeball or anything like that, but he's like a guy who clearly knows what goes on behind the scenes of US politics, or at least like the CIA involvement. And he kind of exudes that. We're the good guys, but we're the good guys for our side mentality. Yeah, I, uh, I'm higher on Beam than I am pretty much any villain in this movie which is really saying a lot I like David Harbour everything I've seen him in he's been good so it turns out that Beam is literally just about to meet with Green Beam and Green and alongside them is Felix Leiter the first time that somebody is playing Felix in consecutive films we had seen David Hedison in Live and Let Die and License to Kill but of course there's several movies in between then with some other different Felix characters and stuff so cool to see Felix back right 
Yeah. yeah, it's always good when you get a regular recurring character. Even uh, Sheriff J.W. Pepper? Even, no. honestly, I will. We're going to have different answers there. I liked him. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Beam and Green. I'm glad I didn't say that too fast. Come to an agreement. The United States is going to let him do all this Bolivia coup shit in exchange for oil. And Felix isn't corrupt, though. He's uh, trying to play it off that he doesn't know who Bond is. But, of course, Beam is well aware. He's just like, yeah, it's James Bond. You know, British Secret Service. I like that moment. Yeah. That was good. Because he's just like, oh, oh, who do you think this guy is? And then he just like, had, like no idea. Man. He says, oh, that's James Bond. That's uh, <laughs> just like, he's just... You just know, you can see the look on Felix's face that, oh, fuck. Yeah. It's like, you know, that guy a couple weeks ago that you play poker with? Because <laughs> technically speaking, it is probably a couple weeks, you know? A couple months yep. at the very least, you know? So I like that he calls him out on his bullshit. And they have a little discussion, you know? Uh, Beam is like, yeah, you're right, we should just deal with nice people then. And, uh... He wants to know that Felix values his career and he's on the right team. Now, I really like this little exchange, but they do it again later on. And it just seems like that's one of those issues of the writer's strike that they would have done it once. Then again, the series is the one that has the thing with Tomorrow Never Dies of, if I didn't know any better, I'd say whatever. Yeah, well, if I didn't know any better, I'd say whatever. Um, but I do like that because it's like Beam isn't, a you know megalomaniac villain type of guy where he's like um you know saying we need to take diamonds and take over the world and do some kind of crazy shit instead he's just a corrupt normal type of uh politician kind of guy like yeah you know yeah. we're gonna deal with villains yeah he tries to be someone who you can almost see like you can almost picture it's almost scary how much you could picture that actually happening in yep. your life. That might as well be an exchange that's overheard from an actual tape of something. Well, you know what? The downside to it is you probably wouldn't have a Felix that's trying to say to not do that. It would just be two people like, woo, we got the oil, you know? <laughs> I like that a little bit. Bond heads off to the opera. Swanky situation with uh, gift bags and all. Some people are getting some special ones, though, that are different from everybody else. It has a little, uh, it's like underneath the table instead of on top of it. It's got a little sash to it or whatever you want to call it, a little something. And turns out that in those gift bags, there are earpieces. Here's one of the few things that I really like about this movie. This organization the Green is with, they're using the opera as a means to have their meeting out in public. And they're just talking lowly to themselves and everybody can hear with the earpieces. So they don't actually have to meet in person, but they are in the same room and there's no, you know, phone calls to track. There's no emails to go back to anybody. I think that that's really well done. That's really cool. Yeah. It's a clever little spot to so get the group together by doing something that's means that you don't leave some sort of paper trail behind you. And of course, this is the perfect place to meet because who goes to the opera? <laughs> and I'm sure people are muttering shit 
at the opera too because it's just like all this fucking going on so what are we gonna get for dinner later you know <laughs> so bored yeah oh, when is this over the fat lady's already singing <laughs> kind of thing what do you mean four more hours yeah <laughs> I really like that I really like as well that Bond plays it smart here he speaks up tells him I really think that you guys should find a better meeting place and that convinces a good number of them to stand up and leave. So he's able to take the chance to take photos and send them to MI6. So now they can start pinpointing people associated with this organization. That is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's that's really a clever spot. Yeah, he's like planning smart. He just he riles them up by doing that. The thing I think, again, it's another reason why Green is such an ineffective villain is that he does that and Green is just like oh fuck just like he's just immediately i know certain villains can be like that but he's he just seems like he doesn't have an answer for this at all like bond 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 has just always done is he's arrived at the place and the only reason he's been able to arrive at the well we'll talk about that a bit later but he's arrived at this place and he has managed to just take out one of the people and put on the earpiece and now he knows more than they've ever known at this point about this group. And one of the things that I really like on top of that, again, it's like, this scene's actually good. Uh, one of the guys who's too smart to play into this is Mr. White. He doesn't get up. He's just like, oh, you know, I guess the opera's not for everybody. But like, he clearly is in a position of power because He's smart enough to not be one of those idiots that stands up and just goes, oh, I guess I got to run away now. And kind of, he's just like, no, mm. you don't know that I'm sitting down here. You're not going to fucking track me. And Bond walks right by him, too. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite scenes in the film. Highlighted by, yeah, all these dudes are running. And this one guy's just smart enough to go, well, the opera is not for everybody because... As Tony said, he's actually smart enough to know better. Can, can I um? Can I bring up one of the actors who's playing one of these guys? Sure. Um. So, uh, Guy Hines, who is um, essentially he's he's the most interesting out of all of these ones because he's an aide to the Prime Minister. It's revealed. Yeah, special uh, bodyguard. Oh no, that's the other guy. Uh, he's a special, special envoy. envoy. Yeah, they they call him the Prime Minister. So he's played by an actor called Paul Ritter. And Paul Ritter, I don't want to say this is another example of the curse or anything like that, but he passed away a couple of uh, months ago uh, for a brain tumor at the age of 51, I believe, something like that. Mm. Um, so pretty young. And he's more famous in the UK for appearing in this British sitcom called uh, Friday Night Dinner, which was, I think it ran for about... Uh, Nine or t- nine or ten years. Yeah, and he only had six seasons, but that's an example of uh, quality over quantity. And yeah, it was just um, he he was a ve- he's a very um beloved figure of uh, British comedy for that. And I was surprised that like he just, I just saw him come up on the thing. Thought, holy fuck, that's that's that guy. And I know some people obviously, if you're listening and you're more of an American persuasion, you might not be familiar with him, but. I'd say check out some of the Friday Night Dinner stuff because it's completely different to the guy he's playing, or at least <laughs> playing in this one, which is essentially a guy working for an evil organization and has infiltrated uh, the British uh, 
British government pretty much. And in Friday Night Dinner, he's playing a like a typical British dad who is really, really like f- funny and forgetful. And you, one of his uh, great running gags is that you always have to say something twice to him because he never hears you the first time he says it. It's like you say something to him and he says, what's that? And then you have to just repeat the same thing and then he comes up with an answer for it. It's a lot funnier when you actually watch it. It's not so funny when you hear someone playing it over a podcast. <laughs> it's like, ah, it's great. He says it twice. Yeah. But yeah, I'm sure in the context, but, but, it's a lot better. Yeah. I just wanted to bring that up because it was just like, it's one of those moments where just like, it, and same thing from like Casino Royale, where you see Richard Branch and stuff like that. It's just like, oh, good. I recognize this guy. Hmm. He also, um, maybe saying that the Americans were feeling with He played, um, he was in that Chernobyl TV series that they did. I haven't seen that either. Um, a big fan of that as well. He plays um, the uh, the bomb. I can't remember the actual name. It's in Russian. It's in Russian as well, so that's not great. But uh, no he plays the he plays the guy that's the um, the head of the actual Chernobyl plant that tells them to do the test and gets caught up in the radiation. So, but yeah, again, completely uh, outside what he does. And even Friday night dinner, all this. So, an actor of range, clearly. And I it's cool when you see certain names pop up, you know. Yeah, I had no idea who he was. Uh, didn't know that he was a guy other than he could have just been an extra from you know, my point of view. So that's cool. Yeah. I also like the action sequence that spawns out of this. It's like mostly silent, like a, not mostly silent. It's you know got the track behind it and everything, but it's got this kind of silent idea behind it. And it doesn't fit the franchise's tropes and style and all. It kind of seems like it would work better in like a Mission Impossible film. But I just think it's really neat. Like, uh, you know, the the quiet kind of chaos of it. You know, gunshots going off and you can't hear too much of it. And, you know, I really, really enjoy that part. I'm I'm personally not a fan of the interspersing with the opera shots. I think, again, it's just a case of more yeah. camera cuts and it obscures everything. More so, so the sound is what I like. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. It's just, I, again, it's just the camera work just doesn't do it for me in this movie in general, but that in particular as well. One of the guys uh, falls off the roof and Green gets one of its goons to shoot him. That guy turns out to be the bodyguard to the special envoy to the Prime Minister who is in Quantum. And M thinks that Bond killed him. And since he's a member of Special Branch, his uh, movements are restricted. His cards are rejected. It's like, you know, you got to come in. And he's like, well, I'll come in after I'm done. But it's like, no, you need to be debriefed. You killed the bodyguard to the, the, to the prime minister. Like, you, this is a, a big deal kind of thing. But, but Bond's not into that. I'm confused. Bond did kill him, right? No. We did. Because <laughs> that guy wouldn't be swinging from the roof if Bond wasn't there. Like, yeah, but he didn't kill the guy. The guy could have survived. He didn't do the, sh- the gunshots. They oh no, think oh no, that oh no. he shot him. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, you mean, yeah, because he did actually survive. I keep forgetting they actually survived the fall because it makes zero sense that he survived to fall from the top of a building on top yeah. of a car. <laughs> yeah, he's not um, Sandor. In the spy who loved me, who just <laughs> knocks the the tie and dies, you know, or you know, if it would have been more of a rebellion movie. type, right? Yeah, uh, he doesn't get the elongated falling shot like Secret Service. <laughs> yeah, 
That would been kind of. You make the argument though that he he is responsible because it is all his actions. So maybe hey, let's debrief this guy now. Oh, he definitely needs to be debriefed. He's at least indirectly responsible for sure. Because I mean, this bodyguard has no idea that this guy's in quantum. Most likely, he's just protecting somebody who's in the the government. So he's an innocent for sure. Or at least you know we can assume that he's an innocent. I mean, he'll be debriefed soon enough. That's what Fields is there for. That's true. Hey, she's gonna be debriefed as well. But the uh, whole setup of you know we're gonna stop you from being able to move anywhere. You're going to be pretty much locked in and we're going to catch you kind of a thing is very quickly subverted because Bond, (laughs) knowing this is happening, he flirts with the receptionist and he says, you're going to get a phone call in a minute. When you do, can you tell them that I'm going to Cairo? Despite that, he's going to Italy, which I think is great. That's a great Bond moment. Yeah. Again, subverting because he knows what's about to happen, so... Gets the gets the beautiful woman to tell to basically do what he says from that moment in time, and then heads over to Italy instead. That's like second nature for Bond, and it's nice to see some of the characteristics carry over. Yeah. And what is it uh, in there in Italy for him? That's my friend Mathis, or the chief's friend Mathis. Might be. I don't know. But it's Rene Mathis. He immediately asks if Bond's come to apologize because turns out he didn't do a damn thing. You know, in the last film, it was like, well, you know, let's sweat him some more. Maybe he still was a part of it. Nope, not at all. And his wife or girlfriend or mistress or whoever, Gemma, um, she gets Bond some wine. Mathis says, don't give him any. You know, this man had me tortured and whatever, and he doesn't deserve the fine wine. And she says, well, you only buy cheap wine. And, you know, once they found out that you were innocent, they bought you the villa as an apology. So, you know, if anything, you should be thanking him. <laughs> That's a good moment. I like it. And I was so glad that Mathis was back in this, too, because I love Mathis. Yeah, he's a... He's a um... He's a fun, charismatic character. Nice swerve, too. About him actually being good? Yeah. You can't go wrong with, uh, like, quadruple swerve-type things, where at the end, the guy that you like is somebody who you can continue to like. You know? Works out well. Well, it doesn't really, but you know what I mean. Um, Mathis brings up the Vesper stuff. You got to remind the audience that that's an undercurrent of this movie. He just says, you know, well, Vesper loved you and she died for you. And it turns into another scene where I love that they play Vesper's theme while Bond is pissed drunk. But here's where I'm going to get nerdy. As if I haven't already. This scene where Mathis asks what's keeping Bond awake. Great track to listen to for the score, by the way. Uh, Bond's had six martinis the Vesper drink mind you of course I wanted him to say a vodka martini shaken not stirred I also wanted him to say Bond James Bond I also wanted the gun barrel a lot of the other kind of things to go along with that but you know whatever um, he asks if Bond wants a sleeping pill a pain pill he's got pills for everything some of them make you forget the name of this film comes from a short story that revolves around a dinner conversation primarily 
about the idea of a loveless marriage that's since lost its spark and there's no longer a quantum of solace or like, you know, a morsel of happiness left in that relationship. And once that goes away, then, you know, it changes you, it changes the relationship, that kind of thing. I think they missed an opportunity here to have Mathis drop the name of the film by saying that Bond isn't going to get over Vesper unless he lets go of that last bit of happiness. Or, I mean, until he holds on to that last little bit of happiness. Like, some variation of that. You, there's ways to play around with this. But I think that this is a perfect scene to he, for uh, for him to be like, you know, blah, 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 quantum of solace, blah, blah, blah. Because he's a character that can impart that kind of wisdom. And he could say, it's important for you to move on. Even though you don't have Vesper, you still have the knowledge of knowing that she loved you. And that should be good enough. And they just didn't do it. The writer's strike maybe killed them. Maybe they didn't think of it. Like, man, that sucks. If I was on the set that day, I would be pitching that so hard to the people when I'd just be like, can you just record lines like this? Like, just in case, you know? See, it's a shame you were this age back then because they would have been chomping at the bit for somebody like you to come along. <laughs> if you are listening out there in Hollywood, I've got my blueprints. <laughs> yeah, you do, but they're not chomping at the bit right now. That's right. That's true. So that was disappointing. Because it's just like, you had a perfect scene for this, and and you didn't. But I still like the scene. You know, I like scenes where it's like, you know, Mathis and Bond talking, and they're just kind of some character work. I'd, get, I'd rather that in a movie for, like, you know, half of the film. At this point, you know, we 20-something movies into this. Then to just be like, okay, well, how do we do a different type of action sequence? I'll be like, you know, cut one of the action sequences and give me more character stuff. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Oh, absolutely. I'm all about the character-driven stuff. That's been the best part. Obviously, the the action can have its its fun moments, but to me, that's more just not so much filler, but it's more it should be accentuating the actual character development that you're seeing in the movie itself, rather than being the whole crux of the movie it's why i'm not as personally it's why i'm not as enamored with the the brosnan and dalton stuff as i am with some of the previous movies yeah i mean i we we've talked about how much i i prefer a lot of the older films to much of what i've seen so far here because i don't i like action films but i'd much rather hear a good story I think that that's the type of thing that separates some of the Bond movies from some of the other action films because you can see tons of action films that just do shit. You know, I haven't watched the full movie, but I've seen elements of Olympus Has Fallen. It just kind of feels like it's just a movie. You know, White House Down is fine. It's a fun kind of action flick, but I can't tell you the name of the main character or anything. It's just uh, Jamie Foxx is president and, you know, Channing Tatum's a bodyguard and they shoot shit. But character work is all great unless you get a character that isn't great. So Bond and Mathis are approached by Gemma Arterton, a redhead in an overcoat and boots. And 
I talked to Callum about this beforehand. Does it not seem like she's not wearing anything? Is yeah. that not what they want you to think? <laughs> it's just weird. It's just like, again, it's not like I'd be complaining or anything like that, but it's just why does she think that, I mean, first of all, they're in Bolivia. So why is she wearing a giant trench coat anyway? Yeah. And then, Cal. and then it's just case of, it's clear that she's not wearing anything under the trench coat. So why would she not be wearing anything under the trench coat? Other than to look hot. And... Yeah, it's either, well, it's either to look hot or the entire plan is, and as we'll get onto a little bit, her whole plan is, I'm just going to fuck Bond and <laughs> then Bond will leave with me. Like, you can make the argument, if you're trying to make excuses for this film, that she's dressed in that kind of a way so she can stand out and get Bond's attention. But then again, she could have been wearing fucking anything, because, like, I mean, she's an attractive woman, so of course he's going to pay attention. Yeah, Yeah, his magic penis just points in the direction where it needs to. (laughs) Yeah, it's like those uh, water rod, the doweling rod kind of things, you know? Like, he just starts, like, pointing, you know? But she introduces herself as Miss Fields, and they don't say her first name in the movie, but we do know what her name is. Her name is Strawberry Fields. Now, I know we've had had our fair share of dumb names in this series. It's It's kind of a trademark, the Bond franchise. Pussy Galore, of course, being the absolute just like, my God, kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, the Pussy Galore, the Plenty of Tool. Mr. Kill. <laughs> you technically maybe say Tiffany Case could fit into that as well. Yeah. And stuff like that. But, but Strawberry Fields, this is just a bunch of people who just thought, okay, so we're, we're going to go... With, well, we're going to just go with a... We're going to go with a silly name, but we can't... But we shouldn't go sexual because people are probably over that by now. Mm-hmm. When we call it Strawberry Fields... So nobody has the first name Strawberry. Don't. You don't know that. I'm sure somebody out there. Okay, nobody who doesn't have Gwyneth Paltrow as a mother has Strawberry. <laughs> okay, the first name. okay, there we go. And when there's like Moxie Crime Fighter and all that kind of weird shit, people do that, but it's like. Uh, like, she's an I mean, adult, she could change her name. Like, you know? Yeah, like, if she hates the name Strawberry Fields, she could go by like Anne or something. <laughs> like, you know? You're in the fucking government. Change your name. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the sense of like, yeah, like MS6 looked at her CV and said, Strawberry Fields, this must be a joke. Uh, yeah. said this. And she has to be a redhead, too, because Jim Arterton's not a redhead. But they did that because it's like, she, for somebody who hates her name, she plays into it. It's just not great. Yeah, it's, and, it's, a, it's a dumb name. They head to this shitty hotel, and Bond's like, we're not staying here. And she says, uh, well, our cover is that we're teachers on sabbatical. This works with our cover. It fits. And Bond's like, I got a better idea. So they go to a ritzy place, and he introduces themselves as, hi, we're teachers on sabbatical, and we just won the lottery. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie. Again. I, okay, I don't think Bond is bad in this movie. No. Just no, it's everything, everything around, around it. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's better in this movie, I think, than he is in Casino Royale. Like, he's well, more he comfortable. Maybe that's why, yeah. And in the room, he... <laughs> it's this easy. 
piano. He says, "Hey, can you help me out? I, I can't find the stationery." <laughs> and Fields is like, "Yeah, sure, we'll fuck." <laughs> it's like, wow, okay. Which I just love the way that he goes about it as well, because essentially he walks into the room and Strawberry's in there with him, and just I'm feeling so dumb by saying the word Strawberry over and over. <laughs> Fields is in there with him. And she just followed him into the room, and he just decides, okay, so I guess, I guess I, I, I want to fuck right now. And he just, he doesn't even try to come up with some interesting way of doing it, some sort of suave seduction technique or flirtation. Just says, yeah, I, I can't find something in here. Do you want to help me do it? And then he just walks in, gets undressed, and she's like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> just that easy for some people. Like, yeah, Callum and I would know nothing about this. Tony, have you had? Some success in this department? Not, easy? not easy enough to say where's the stationery. I mean, there's been some instances where it's not been that hard. But, like, <laughs> but you also have the name of fruit. Does that help or hurt? Helps. There's right. been there's yeah, been instances give, where five, uh, some five a die. Uh, I've worked my way into some flirtatious conversations by mentioning about a fruit cocktail. Ah, nice. You know. Uh, two mangoes and a banana or something. Did <laughs> 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 you get your balls checked? <laughs> Check out fun. Manscaped, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so they do it. Uh, <laughs> Fields is pissed that she used to come to, to her. Just, she's just like, oh, I'm so mad at myself. And it's like, yeah, because you didn't need any kind of foreplay. He just said, Fuck and you went, yup, <laughs> that's it. He didn't say that he said stationary. Yeah, said, he didn't fuck. even say fuck. And she, <laughs> yeah, can I find the state? I can't find the stationary. And she's like, yeah, I'll uh, completely strip. And he he goes, well, that's great, but I was really looking for a stationary. <laughs> I really need to write a note just, down here. Oh, I'll, I'll write that afterward. Yeah, it's just funny. Just close to like like she he said stationary. She heard fuck, and then they all just got involved in that. Yeah, <laughs> just like. You almost feel like that from the moment she saw Bond in the airport, he she's just been thinking the word "fuck" constantly in her head repeatedly. Right. Said, oh my god, I shouldn't, I can't fuck this guy, I can't fuck this guy, I can't fuck this guy. He wants stationery, I'm going to fuck this guy. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, whatever you do, Fields, don't fuck James Bond. We're just going to go to the hotel, and he's asking for a pen. And why is he inside me? <laughs> 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 so Mathis says hey you're invited to a party I'm gonna go check out a friend of mine I'll see you later um, oh my note for this uh, section because I always give these uh, little titles tastes like strawberries <laughs> yeah I, that, that's a joke I wanted to make and a, jo- a joke I'd expect to be prevalent throughout the film <laughs> see this would be good for just a little joke and stuff like that just like he just well, obviously, she doesn't know what her real... You don't know what her real name is, so if he was to do the taste like strawberry things, it would be. But if he knew her name was Strawberry Fields, and then he just kisses her, hmm, that's weird. Tastes like lime or something. Yeah, you know, more <laughs> of a pineapple taste. I hear that that's good for something else. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just, like, it's poorly executed with a lot of that stuff, and it's a shame, because there's potential, again, but... Green's party's a bust, you know. When you got a nerd like that throwing it, of course it's going to be. <laughs> it's total snooze, pa- snooze fest. A uh, bunch of stuffy people listening to him 
squeak out this speech about saving the world and blah, 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 and whatever. And it's all bullshit. And Camille points that out. She's like, you know, no, that bad shit that's happening, that happened after they sold that stuff to your company, didn't it? And he's just like, <laughs> I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's got another line that's a very scummy line, but it's a good one because, you know, he's a scummy character where he says, um, Camille is quite stunning once you get her on her back. Covers mm-hmm. her scars. It's like, again, there's a couple moments here and there where it's like, oh, that's, that's okay. Fuck that guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really, Camille wants to know where Medrano is. And then she starts again being flirtatious with Dominic. And then Dominic, it's, it's like he threatens to push her off the balcony. And then she starts kissing him. And then he goes to push her off the balcony. <laughs> Just like, what did you expect was going to happen? Yeah. Did you think like, oh, he's not going to, it's like, oh, you wouldn't do that. You'd miss me too much. And then he just immediately goes to try and push her off a balcony and and she only survives because Bond turns up. It'd be great if that would have been like, she actually does die in that. <laughs> and he's just like, I fucking told you, like I tried to kill you before and now you just pissed me off even more. Of course. Yeah. You know, shit happens. I like Bond being like, you know, shoots Electra. Oh, I never miss. I said I'd shoot you if you fucking did it. You're dead, so I shot you. Uh, he also points out uh, to that everything that Bond touches withers and dies. And he calls them both damaged goods. Uh, Fields purposely trips Green, so he falls down some steps. Uh, or not Green. Uh, Elvis, Elvis, I mean. Uh, so that's why he gets the... You know, that, that's the biggest thing that he does in this movie, is Fields trips him. Okay, so what what was what was she trying to achieve there? I assume she was just trying to get Bond out of the situation. But I'm just thinking, like, then she just stands there and says, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." Just like, okay, you're dead essentially as, yeah. as soon as I'm in. And just like, why? Why did you? Why did you think it was so important to try and help him in that situation? Just felt that was a little. Again, it shows a little bit of heroism on her front, but it just. It's just like, oh, she trips him and then just, it almost feels like like you have to watch it back, see her do it intentionally, because I kind of get the reaction when she says, like, oh, I'm so sorry about that. It's just you Genuine. almost feel like she actually just did it accidentally. <laughs> yeah, poorly done. Yeah, it's not it's not great. And that's the last we'll see of her alive. <laughs> yeah, that's funny enough. So Bonnie and Camille leave. Some cops pull them over, ask to look in the back, and it turns out that Mathis is there. He's beaten up and he's in place there. And when Bond picks him up, the guys shoot. They uh, hit Mathis in the back a few times. Bond dispatches to them. And as Mathis is dying, and I like this little bit too, uh, Bond, you know, checks him out. Uh, Camille says, you know, there's a hospital, like a town over or something. So, they kind of have this exchange of look of like, yeah, he's not making it. So Bond just picks him up, holds him. Mathis is like, oh, that's, that's good. That doesn't hurt in that position. And they have this little chat where he asks Mathis, is Mathis your cover name? It's not a very good one. <laughs> and they just sort of bury the hatchet a little bit. You know, Mathis says, do we forgive each other? And, you know, Reminds Bond, Vesper gave everything for you. Uh, forgive her. And forgive yourself. And he dies. 
and just for good measure, David Arnold throws in the Death of Vesper song there, which is just really good. And I remember in the theater, I'm going, fuck, they killed Mathis? Aw, man. Which is what you're supposed to feel. So it's like they pull that off, and I'm just like, damn. It's sad. I like Mathis, you know? And Bond just throws him in a dumpster, takes his cash out of his wallet and leaves. And Camille's like, is that how you treat your friends? And he goes, he wouldn't care. Yeah, we're getting some of the kind of heartless Bond. And I really enjoyed this scene. Yeah, I thought it was very, it was a very good conversation. It felt like it was meaningful, but then, like, it's this weird thing where it's, it feels like a super meaningful conversation, then Bond, like, exclamation marks it by just throwing him in the trash. And it's just, like, it's a case of, like, Bond gets a moment of, like, real, I guess, personal clarity with this person, and then he immediately puts his shield back up by just chucking him away. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just garbage. And it's just... Yeah, that's that's the Bond character. It's someone who is deeply layered and psych- psychologically broken in many different ways, but has got this this ironclad front to him, and that's just part of it. And yeah, I thought I thought this was really well done. But again, it's a carryover from it's two characters that we saw in the previous movie. Having and the only reason why the scene is so strong is because we saw their experience in the previous movie. Yeah, it means absolutely nothing. In comparison, if you just watched the film, because then they had what one sequence where they're just like, "Hey, you know, we know each other," kind of a thing. But it's uh, it's good. It's you know very reminiscent of when Valentine is killed by Electra, and they have that little kind of nod to each other, and she says, "You know, oh, Valentine, uh, he must have really hated you, or whatever," because it's like you set up a character that we like, and then get to a point where the character has to go away and you feel sad. It's well done. I love how cold he is too. Like Camille has every reason to say that. Like, is that how you treat your friends? Like you clearly liked this guy. You had a relationship with this guy and he just died. And not only are you not upset about it seemingly, but you toss him in a dumpster. Fuck. That's harsh. But bonds kind of true. He's just like, well, you know, it doesn't fucking matter. He's dead. The they, harsh realities of the job kind of thing. It's like he knows the score. Yeah, and they reference it a little bit later on, too. Not directly like, hey, remember about Mathis? But like they do kind of call back to it. And uh, I also like that he calls out the code name. You know, is Mathis your cover name? It's not a very good name, is it? Because it's like, yeah, because... That's his real name. And you're James Bond and you're telling everybody that you're James Bond. Like that's the, the fun little joke there about that. Just being like, you know, hey, we both did this stupid thing. <laughs> Unless he's Beach, you know. Renee Beach. Mojito. <laughs> Mojito. Two thirds of the way done the film. I like how the next scene starts with Bond saying that. He left a car to this guy as collateral for a plane, and he knows that the guy's going to sell them out, and he's going to make more money that way. So it's like, well, we're not coming back for that fucking car. This guy's not going to go long before he tells everybody why uh, that, that we're here and all that other kind of stuff. It turns out that Camille used to be Bolivian Secret Service. A little bit of backstory to her. 
they have a little exchange, you know, uh, what do you want in green? What do you want? And uh, Bond says he tried to kill a friend of his, amongst other things. She says, a woman or a woman. And he says, yeah, but not what you think. And she says, your mother? And he goes, well, she likes to think so. You know, mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, you keep believing that. A mother. And since the director wanted to be all artistic and have an action sequence that focuses on each of the elements of nature, we've taken care of Earth, we've taken care of water, and now is our air scene. He literally confirmed this. That's not a theory. He said, I wanted to do the four elements as action sequences. And yeah, we, the Earth stuff with the beginning of the film, the water with the boat chase. Now we're in a plane. Fire is coming up later. Entirely forgettable airplane sequence. Yeah, just a load of... Um, it's like they go shoot... They, uh, like a small plane comes out of nowhere, starts shooting them out of the sky. Bond tries to land in the mountains. He gets pulled... He manages to pull up, and now he's just flying around with a, a bad engine. Uh, Camille looks out one of the windows and says, I think she lost the plane. Then looks out the other window and says, Oh, he's, he's gaining on us. It's just like, make your mind up. And... Um, they end it, or they manage to deal with this person because he obscures the pilot's view with the engine smoke and then manages to, like, basically push him into the side of a mountain using a much bigger and much junkier-looking plane. Kind of like Bond himself. Like, he's, again, the blunt instrument. <laughs> blunt instrument. And, he, and he manages to get one over on the more sophisticated tools because he just thinks better. And so Camille puts on a parachute Bonds flies this plane up as high as he possibly can. And then he like literally falls out the back of the plane with Camille. And then they go as the plane like just is in the sky and it's about to go and descend. They're just falling, falling, falling with a lot of CGI, which I don't think look that great in this version. No, um, it looks it, really bad. It's like the bad uh, green screen blending that you've seen in movies from five to ten years beforehand. 20 years before they, even. And they fall into a sinkhole and they literally put, he literally manages to pull Camille's parachute like two feet off the ground. And they would be dead because there's no way that a parachute opening that late would cause the sort of lift to help them survive this fall. It needed to happen earlier. But yeah, that's basically it. Now, you w finished watching this, pretty much this sequence yesterday, right? Mm. when did you check out quantum of solace in relation to when we're recording this we're recording it on the first of june for anybody that's wondering so i saw this film um the day before so saturday i saw i saw it on may 29th so between the amount of times that i've seen this movie and the fact that i watched it over saturday and monday and you guys have watched it just the other day and everything. Mm. Isn't that weird that you can't remember all that much about it in comparison to something like you remember the jump from the at the golden gun, right? It's this movie <laughs> is very for your eyes only to me. Or not for your eyes only, um, octopusy. Like the where I was just like, yeah, maybe I'll rewatch it one day and I'll think highly of it. But now, yeah, and like it, there was nothing here. 
it is just a lot of stuff happening. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff and none of it is memorable. You can remember a lot of the tank stuff from Goldeneye, the cello from Daylights, Little Nelly from You Only Live Twice. I bet you can remember the beginning of Tomorrow Never Dies with the backseat driver thing, but nothing specific happens here. It's just noise. I This one has somewhat of a purpose to it because there's a reason why they end up in the sinkhole. But again, it's the reason is like they they kind of stumble across things by chance rather than actually knowing where to look, mm-hmm. which is a which it, it now and again can work. But I feel like there's been too many instances in this movie so far where it's just been dumb luck that they found something. Yeah, like if Bond kills Slate and he doesn't have a briefcase conveniently waiting for him, Bond just goes, I don't know what to do. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and in, in this case, like they were just scouting around looking for something in the middle of the desert. And it's only because the plane conveniently landed them somewhere down here that they managed to stumble across what we're going to talk about in a little while. Yeah, and before had this discussion with the defense secretary. Before anybody makes the argument that the same thing happens in Goldeneye, it doesn't. In Goldeneye, they are looking for a satellite dish. In this one, they're looking for answers to what is going on period so they have no idea where to start whereas in goldeneye they're like let's try to find a satellite dish and no we're, we haven't come across it yet kind of a thing same thing with you only live twice he's like let's try to find out where they could be storing this rocket and everything and uh, poorly done uh tanner informs m that it, it seems that bond killed mathis and shot up the police so even more so bond needs to get taken in and we have another sequence with the whole you know if we refuse to do business with villains there's nobody left type of a thing because one of m's um superiors is pissed and says that the prime minister is pissed and doesn't even want to talk to her green's interests now align with theirs foreign policy can't just be a bunch of hunches and innuendo oil's running out and if we don't do something, the Americans and the Russians are going to snatch it all up. So tell Bond to back the fuck off because oil is more important than dealing with a guy who is supposedly in with this criminal organization that's like the worst thing in the world. They already did it with Beam. Yeah. Yep. I guess they're just I guess they're just reinforcing the fact that there's people on all sides that aren't aren't happy playing just the hero at this point in time. And Bond, in his attempts to play the hero, is actually fucking up their plans. And that's another thing that is just... I guess we've learned in modern times that everybody's kind of a scumbag. But sometimes you want definitive heroes and villains very proud of myself for not using wrestling terminology there he's in vases go to smartcatmove.com uh that's just a thought that i had like yeah everybody's it's a shady business and everybody sucks but can't somebody be good for the sake of being good yeah back in different eras different generations for instance looked at like Americans, for instance, in general, as just like 
we stepped in in World War II and saved the day and all the good boys did just good boy stuff and they got their um their medals of honor and they were constantly the heroes and they went home and had a sody pop and <laughs> yeah. they had a they had a pop which i hate the people call it pop uh with their gal who they had gotten engaged to and married to before they went off to war and they came back and the the sailor is uh now dancing because that's all the movies were back then it's just like da 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 he's dancing you know and now they're going to have uh 2.5 kids with a white picket fence house and he's going to have his job where he reads the newspaper in the morning and has a glass of orange juice and she's going to wear an apron all day and you know that kind of shit and like eventually comes out like oh here's these horrible war crimes that people do and uh, you know here's the reason why people get into war is because of money not for protecting anybody it's because you know to quote a former president the only presidents that are memorable or forgot uh, aren't forgotten or whatever he had used the phrase for are wartime presidents and it's like yeah, of course you're going to get people that are like, oh, this guy's terrible and green is involved in this and whatever, but we need that sweet, sweet oil. So, you know, whatever. So it's, I like that they incorporate that because it's real. I just wish that they did it a little bit better because it's like, well, you literally have almost the exact same phrase with beam earlier. Play around with it a little bit more. Rewrite it without the writers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Again, it might be mostly because of the writer's strike. They might have had a better version of it if they would have had the time, but you can't make the excuse and also say that it's good knowing that you don't know what they would have come up with. Maybe they really liked those lines. And anyway, Camille reveals a little bit more of a backstory. Majano had killed her father, raped her mom and sister, and set the house on fire, and that's her pack scar explanation. And basically, she just got to Madrano, and Bond fucked it all up. So that sucks. Yeah. To, to me, I mean, it's good to have the backstory behind it and the reason why she's doing this. It's the, as base as it base can get, she killed, he killed my family. It's basically the, to it's, die. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's basically the backstory <laughs> of any hero in these types of movies. But, Pretty much. But at least it is a backstory. At least there's a reason for her getting involved so heavily in this. And it builds up to her for the climax of the movie. So I can appreciate it. So it turns out that Green's people have been using dynamite to create some dams to uh, cut off the water supply. Dams work a whole lot better than that than hells and shits and fucks. Oh, dams. Um, <laughs> and that's your big picture here. A drought. Meaning that Green works for Nestle. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, more shit than that. It's just a, it's a, it's funny enough that Bond has finally stumbled across a dam because he's seen plenty of beaver in these movies. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, Bond and Camille go back to the hotel. Uh, not that Camille really stays more than a second, but um, Fields has left a message for Bond. Run. So what does he do? He goes completely right back up to the room because, you know, instead of running. Uh, and when he goes to the room, he sees that M is there with a bunch of agents. And he just assumes, well, Fields was telling him, you know, M's here, warning him of that. 
So he's pissed. He's just like, you know, wow, of course, like, you know, she said that that's the case because you're here and you're getting in my fucking way and whatever. M thinks Bond is blinded by inconsolable rage and she is hypocritical as hell because she says, when you can't tell your friends from your enemies, it's time to go. Uh, Olivia, in the span of the past few weeks, if we can take it at face value months at most, you employed Vesper to be the one in the treasury that is in this whole mission. She was a double agent. You wrongly thought that Mathis was a problem. Multiple times you thought that Bond was not on the level. And after a decade, you still didn't know that your bodyguard was a fucking double agent. Sounds like M needs to fucking leave, am I right? Yeah, that's definitely the case. And it's just, yeah, but she's been hypocritical. And then it's also at this point that I kind of went, oh, they've kind of dropped the narrative involving you can't trust anyone. Because yeah. it, it hasn't really brought it hasn't really been brought up that much. It's just that it's like like um like things have been happening in MI6 where other people have been involved and stuff like that. It's just like there wasn't even anything to do with like she went to meet with the defense secretary. We didn't hear anything that happened to Haynes or anything like that, or any of these other people. So yeah, they seem to have dropped the narrative because I think at one point Bond walks in and says, Can you trust these guys? With the um the guards surrounded him, so I hope, I hope you can trust these guys and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I guess they're trying to bring it up, but there should have been more instances of people just bringing out of nowhere, assuming that they're part of the, they're just part of the scenery, and then they just start attacking people. I think that could have been a bit more of a cool bit of intrigue to throw into it. Yeah, this movie wants to have its cake and eat it too. It wants to say, and this is a thing, a problem with the the Craig films and uh, their overall scope. They want to harp on the, you can't trust anybody. And then, damn it, Bond, why don't you trust people? You can't. You can't have both ways. It's a phrase that we've been using a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Mean what you say, say what you mean, be honest. (laughs) You know, all the other kind of phrases. And we're getting to that era where people no longer do those things, so we have to keep saying it here. Yep. The other phrase being, it's not that hard. (laughs) And it's revealed that Fields is dead. She's laying on the bed, covered in oil, a la Goldfinger, but not as good. Yeah, complete parody. Well, I I don't say parody, because that makes it seem like it was a joke, but it's complete. um, Yeah, an homage to that. And yeah, not as good. Well, at least it's it's a more believable death in regards to the basically said that she essentially was drowned in oil, and instead of painted with well, the, her skin got, her skin didn't breathe the oil. Yeah, the <laughs> asphyxi- uh, asphyxiation that doesn't work. Hey, it's less iconic, it but it, yeah, it's less iconic, but it makes more sense. And the fact that we had already seen the gold Jill Masterson means when you see Fields. In the oil, you just go, oh yeah, Goldfinger. Instead of how cool is this iconic image that is in this film? Like, it seems weird to say out of the two films that are in the Craig series at this point in Quantum of Solace, the most iconic shot is Daniel Craig walking out of the water, and not something like this because it's like, yeah, 
They did it. So I I hate it. It's somebody doing like a best of well, and trying to take credit for it, kind of. It's like you if you did it in Die Another Day when you're trying to do the homage film, like we're always doing callbacks in that movie, then it's more forgivable. It's still not good, but it's more forgivable. This is just a follow-up movie to another one. Why are you doing Goldfinger again? You're going to have a, a villain later on in the movie at that point that he throws a different type of a hat just to be odd job. Like, you know, he throws a cowboy hat or something and just Boy, be like, remember that yeah. guy. Then watch fucking Goldfinger. It's a better movie. <laughs> Spoilers, man. Uh, random task is another guy from uh, Austin Powers. There's a show, honestly. So, M is pissed about Bond charming her. He's like, you know, uh, we know how your charms work and whatever. And she says, how many is that now? Oof. A little harsh. He didn't fucking kill her. He just fucked her. He's asking for the stationery. You know. She's the one that decided to, okay. She decided to trip the guy. She decided, you know, like, it's just kind of, I like that Bond, uh, you know, he's upset about it, obviously. And when they have the whole farewell to arms, not quite the same as before, but uh, he surrenders his gun. He quickly takes out the other agents in the elevator and everything. And he immediately goes right back up to M and he just says, I want it reflected in her report that she acted brave. Because... You know, technically, she kind of did. And um, I like the sequence with him escaping captivity, but just by like walking along the rails and everything. Neat little 30 seconds or so. Yeah. Yeah. Then, of course, M is totally bipolar. She immediately tells Tanner, Oh, Bond's my agent and I trust him. You didn't 20 seconds ago, but sure. It's almost like this movie didn't have a proper writing staff. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't know uh, your friends from your enemies, it's time to leave, right, Em? Uh, Picks them up and they leave. Spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) I do like uh, when Camille picks him up again. He's like, you're not going to try to shoot me, are you? (laughs) Because the way they did it before. And Beam is then seen saying he's not even willing to trust the bottled water. He thinks that it might have came from a stream that the local kids pissed in. <laughs> like, just to beat it in your head, this guy is one of those types of dudes. Not very likable, but likable in the fact that he's not likable, you know? Yeah, I love the fact that he's the head of the, the South American contingent. He just thinks they're all scum. Right, yeah, he's like, you can't trust anything here, and he smacks like a mosquito or something. Uh, It's great that... Bond says that they should just uh, answer as to the CIA. <laughs> He's like, you know, the taxi driver told me where you guys were. So you might as well not bother with the bullshit. And uh, they have a little, little chat, Felix and Bond. I like these little quips that they have. He says, I always wondered what South America would look like if nobody gave a damn about Coke and communism. It always impressed me how you boys carved this place up. And Felix is like, oh, I'll take that as a compliment coming from a Brit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah screw you guys you 
Yeah. <laughs> Not you, Callum. You're great. That's fine. I feel terrible about it. <laughs> if, if it, I mean, if we had never started like just colonizing and stealing loads of land and stuff like that, you guys wouldn't have existed, and that's the best thing that we could have done for this world. <laughs> hey, don't make me agree with things. <laughs> so he's like, you know, how much time do I have before your people are going to come here? And he says, oh, about thirty seconds. Move your ass. Bond's able to escape pretty easily. After Felix has told him where he can find both Green and Madrano. Yeah. He's off to a hotel in the desert that is supposed to look like a hotel. Doesn't really, but you know, I don't know why anybody would. It looks like a bunch of solar panels panels stuck together. It's like it's like a solar panel Tetris piece. Yeah, it's really weird, and they're around nothing. So, who's gonna go to the hotel? Yeah, yeah. we're going to go to this hotel wow this really bizarre looking hotel in the middle of the desert somewhere I wonder why the um, the uh, villains are meeting there in this conspicuous location yeah I don't know why they didn't do literally anything other than calling it a hotel it could have just been like there's this compound in the desert or you know I don't know it's just weird Welcome to the hotel cat. That's the vibe I got, you know, it's in the fucking middle of the desert. It's My note for this is welcome to the hotel in the desert. Because <laughs> I had that in my head. It's welcome to the hotel in the desert. In the desert. <laughs> it's a fiery place. <laughs> it's fiery place. Lots of glass in this place. <laughs> I really love shattering glass in this movie. Um Bond gives Camille some tips about killing somebody. He says, you know, you only need one shot. Make a count. Take a deep breath. Think about your training. That kind of thing. Because now he's had more than two kills. And I have a note that says, I'm glad green is eating a green apple instead of a red one. <laughs> I don't know why I bothered to write that down. <laughs> and why I said that I was glad about it. Like, yeah, green, green apple. Oh, it makes me yeah, happy. That's exactly why you wrote it down. I would have been offended if you didn't, knowing what I know about you. <laughs> I like Macintosh better myself. Lemonade apples are the best, though. I don't know when they're coming out yet. Uh, green hits Medrano with some contracts about how they own 60% of the water, and now that they signed the other contract, they are the sole utilities provider for double the amount that they're currently paying. And Madrano is just like, nope, I'm not signing it. So Green points out, hey, look, we work with anybody, the left and the right, whoever, it doesn't matter. And we wouldn't even be talking to you if your predecessor would have been more agreeable. So hey, go ahead, don't sign it. You're going to wake up with your balls in your mouth and you're much more willing replacement standing over you. And if you don't think so, shoot me. Have a good night's sleep. <laughs> I, I kind of like that. Exchange. I love that bit. That's really cool. That's fantastic. That's the one time that he kind of feels like a Bond villain. And if he would have been played by a different actor, I think you could have gotten away with him being a much cooler villain. Not that he's a bad actor or anything. I mean, they wanted him to play. They literally told him, we don't want you to have any kind of weird thing with your face. Can you make yourself really bug eyed? <laughs> That'll be your thing. Like, they may wanted this character to be a little fucking badger kind of thing. But that's a cool, threatening line. And then, of course, Madrano gets all predatory with the server who gave him his beer. When it's a racer. 
I like when Bond kills the guy that is responsible for Mathis. He just pops up on top of the truck and he's like, you and I had a mutual friend. Bang. <laughs> he's really not smooth. He's just like, I'm going to do this now. Fuck yeah. off. He's, <laughs> he says to the general guy and he's just like, where's the stationary? Bang. <laughs> And we just it just lands on the car and he shoots the police chief and then he does the and then I just literally wrote the bait in the line before shooting lots of others and causing an explosion. That's yeah. basically that this how this bond operates. Yeah, it's just finale shootout. It's yeah. nothing really much going on here. Elvis dies passively. He just stands there and explodes. Bond doesn't shoot him to explode him. He doesn't get his nothing. He. He's a fucking mannequin. I found it quite funny because he's like Green has positioned him there, so when Bond turns the corner, he's going to shoot him. That's basically what his role is there. And so he told him just stay there and shoot, shoot. And then the whole place pretty much explodes and engulfs him in this slow mo shot where Green basically escapes the flames as well. But yeah, he's basically okay. My job here is just stand here and wait for Bond. Oh, explosion. I must stand here and shoot Bond. <laughs> and uh, Green and Bond are fighting. Green is flailing around with an axe, shrieking. Just like a... That's how I imagine he'd fight. Yeah. Eventually gets the, the axe to the foot. Oof. Yeah. In the meantime, they're cutting between fights of uh, Camille fighting Medrano in his room after uh, Medrano tries to rape another woman. Yeah, it's the, just uh... his go-to move. Yeah. Well, at least he's consistent. But, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, she's, she, so she's fighting him in there instead. And so they come between all of them. And then eventually Camille shoots Madrano. And Green then teases Bond, assuming that, ah, oh, Madrano seems to have killed her. Because it's just like, and then that makes him angry. And he won't like Bond when he's angry. <laughs> he's Actually, not the Hulk. Weird... I am the Hulk. <laughs> it's a weird situation where Bond seems to, quote unquote, learn the lesson. Of not killing a guy who might be a potential lead, because he's 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 dangling him by the hair pretty much over the flames, and he goes to save Camille and he leaves Dominic alive for the time being. Yeah, and so he runs over to try and save Camille instead. So I don't know whether he learned the lesson of trying to keep a lead alive, or he basically said, well, "I've got something more important to do." So a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah, well, to be fair, I guess the easiest thing that he could have done in that situation is drop him and then run after Camille. Yeah. So I guess it, I guess it was more of a case of saving him to preserve him for later. So she is trapped in the flames, and since she had gone through this horrible experience in the past, she's naturally freaking out. I mean, anybody would be, <laughs> you know, they're trapped in flames. But she really, in particular, is just like, I don't want to die like this, not this way. And for a moment... It really feels like Bond is going to pull off an assisted suicide thing. And that's dark. Like, imagine if they would have gone that route. Mm. Like Bond just goes, okay, I'll shoot you then so that you don't have to burn to death. <laughs> like, that would have been really bad. Well, but, she's encouraging him. Yeah, she says, you know, the same lines that he had given her, you know, take a deep breath, make the one shot count. You but know. again, it, again, it's just a moment of serendipity here as well. And, and uh, to be fair, I'm kind of more accepting of it in this situation. But just a panel 
falls down it reveals the gas canister and bond shoots that instead and that gives them the escape route they need to get out of the hotel but without that he yet he would have just shot camille in the head yep if anybody's seen the mist <laughs> bring that up so he shoots that canister blows up the wall they escape and we cut away to you know a little bit later on but not too much later on they're still in the desert green says that he told bond all the information he wants to know about quantum is the name of the organization which i was like Ugh, that's stupid thankfully it gets corrected and bond leaves him in the desert and he's like you know well people are going to be coming after you the good thing is you're in the desert like you're in the middle of nowhere they're not going to find you that well and tosses him a can of oil and says i bet you make it 20 miles before you consider drinking that leaves yeah i love that bond's a dick and it's great when he is (laughs) maybe one of the best punishments for a villain yeah, I, I kind of like his the idea that Bond seemingly has learned his lesson. So he got the information out of the guy, and then he's like, "Yeah, I can now do this now because you've told me everything." So, so he, he sticks to his word of not killing him, but he basically just leaves him to his death. Yeah, it's uh, I get my uh, I get my cake and I get to eat it too. <laughs> to reference that earlier, Camille asks if her dead family is going to be able to sleep now, and Bond says. This goes back to the thing with Mathis. He says, I don't think that the dead care about vengeance. That's the whole like, well, Mathis is dead. He wouldn't care if I tossed him in a dumpster. He's dead. And she says, you know, "Ah, I wish I could help. You got your prison in your mind and whatever. And Bond awkwardly just goes ahead and kisses her. Yep. Like Bond's allowed to do these things. Unwarranted, unjustified. Wasn't like she she rejects it in any way. So. No, but it is just kind of weird that it's just sort of like. Does the defense mechanism kicking in? Like a penis shaped mechanism. <laughs> well, it's got a lever to it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't like the I don't like the kiss. I, don't, I just think it's irrelevant considering the fact that it doesn't lead anywhere for them. Mm-hmm. Like, like they kiss and then she just he just drives away and she goes back to. I guess working for Bolivia. And there's there's no like flirting throughout them all that much to where it would be like, okay, well maybe there's something there. It's like they didn't really flirt. They were more so partners. I mean there is early on when they're like in the initial car ride with each other, it's more of a case of like him not him not uh, her not expecting a geologist to look the way the bond does and she says like we can discuss price terms over drinks later on. So she's clearly angling for something early on. But as you say, by this point, they've just become like colleagues, pretty Buds. much. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This is just like that's what Bond does. I didn't read too much into it. Yeah, I guess I guess some people would just think, would she really a Bond girl if Bond doesn't do something with her? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just the mindset they had. Yeah, I think that they shoehorned in the kiss there because it's like, well, they didn't sleep together, but they got to at least kiss. And it's just awkward. I don't like it. Let me transition over to Russia, where Bond is waiting uh, in the apartment of Vesper's boyfriend. I've got to say, I love this thing. It's very it's like great. the beginning of Casino Royale kind of a thing. Yeah. So that's 
good that they show Bond in the same sort of, you know, sitting in the chair kind of thing. And there's this beautiful woman, Corinne. Second Corinne that we've had in this series. Corinne Defour is the other one. This is Corinne Veneux. She is a Canadian intelligence agent played by Stana Kadic, who you might recognize from the Nathan Fillion show Castle. Uh, she was also the one who did Talia in the Arkham games. Ah. So she's wearing the same Algerian love knot. Bond holds his up and he's like, you know, a friend of mine had one of these too. And fills her in that, you know, at some point this guy is going to have his life threatened and you're going to have to turn on your government and it's basically going to do the whole Vesper situation. So you need to leave. You need to go check for leaks, tell your government to get into that. And, you know, I'll settle this. And I like that she really quietly just says thank you as she leaves the room. Yeah, because you know that she's devastated because this life that she seems to have formed with him, uh, Yusuf, has just come crumbling down behind her. But she realizes that she's doing the right thing and he's helped her out. So so it's not like a full-blown thank you, but it's like, okay, like thank you. And then, okay, now I've got to rebuild my life pretty much. Yeah, you figure her lover is not her lover, essentially. She's being used. She just had a gun pointed at her from a guy breaking into her home. She's being played as an idiot. And this can't possibly go over well with her job. So that's a lot to handle in the span of five seconds ago, you were laughing. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) So for her to be like, you know, okay, thank you. This is kind of like, thank you for making sure I did not fuck everything up even more. They could have very easily not had that line in there. I like that they put it in there. And Yusuf says, make it quick, please. Saban shoots him six times and spits on his grave. And, you know, uh, he leaves instead of killing him. He's learned his lesson. Yeah, he's left him alive for questioning. And M is shocked about that. Uh, they have a little exchange. Do you have any regrets? No. No, me neither. Well, that would be unprofessional. Which is, you know. Turns out that Green was found dead with two bullets in the back of his head and also oil in his stomach. She's like, uh, what's up with that? And Bond's like, oh. <laughs> so I kind, of, I kind of like, I didn't get the total sense of that one. Is it a case that after Bond drove away, he just drove back, shot him in the head twice, and then just no. killed him with motor oil. Or did did Green kill himself? Or did someone fight? Did the did the actual people working for Quantum, as it were, find Green kill him after he downed that stuff? He well, he did say you'd get the twenty mile, you'd go twenty miles before you tried to drink this, mm-hmm. and that people were looking for him. So I'm guessing everything just came to fruition. Yeah, he the implication being he was walking because remember he also has that wound on his foot he had an axe to the foot so he was walking and walking and walking he eventually tried to drink the oil his people came found him realized what was going on and killed him so Bond's happy about that because he's just like yeah everything that I was hoping would happen <laughs> ended up playing mm-hmm. out he drank the fucking oil and he got shot by his people so you figured the last little bit of Green's life was 
in the sweltering heat, dying of uh, thirst with a foot wound. Then he drinks oil. He thinks he's being saved by his comrades, and they kill him. Good death. It's off screen, but it's good death. I like that. She also reveals that Lighter has been promoted, and he's going to replace Beam. And uh, Pond's like, all right, well, it seems like all the good people kept their jobs then. And he also congratulates her. He's like, you know, you were right about Vesper. And she says, well, she knew that you were you and like all this other kind of stuff, like referencing the way that we're going back into that whole thing. And she says, oh, I need you back. And Bond just says, I never left. He drops the Algerian love knot in the snow. Vesper's theme plays for a moment. And now he's James Bond. And that's the gun barrel. And it's like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> it's like, it's so weird because my like reaction every time I watch this movie and of course the first time I saw this I was like oh man the ending's really good I really love like I need you back well I never left is really good and he drops the love knot in the snow so it's like he's over it and it's this very somber tone just a shot of the necklace and Vesper's theme playing and just like this kind of death knell and that could have very le- very easily been like fades to black and then you just hear da da or you know some other like ideally a love theme or something absolutely love that but then they go into the fucking gun barrel then I'm like why, why didn't you put that at the beginning of the movie what the fuck are you doing now <laughs> like, because now he's James Bond yep, now he's like, James Bond after all the other parts of the other movies and it's just like you assholes <laughs> and it's also more realistically they're not going to see that coming see we're unique we put it at the end of the film stop it like, that annoys me so much that whole like five to ten different times during Casino Royale it was all like yeah but now he's the Bond that we know now he's the Bond that we know and then they do an entire extra movie after the last one ended literally with him saying Bond James Bond and the gun uh, the main theme roaring and then it was like but let's do another movie it was like you dicks and it's even more annoying when we get to the next movie but that of course set me off in the theater and i was just kind of like you had me at a bad movie with a good ending until the last five seconds and now that you did the gun barrel now i'm offended And that's the last thing you you got on me. Instead of being like a happy moment of like, oh, they got the gun barrel in. That's kind of cool. I also don't like the gun barrel. Like, not the, the visual. The visual itself is better than what it was in the previous one. But the way that Craig walks is awkward. It seems like he's like a poorly rendered video game character. I didn't really clock that too much. I, I, I didn't know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna actually, it. as he just said that, I'm gonna look back at this gun barrel now because I need to see. He like sprints, and it's very just janky. Like, you know, like Brosnan had like this like 
suave kind of like strut going on. And yeah, I'm not a big fan of the jump that we've had in previous gun barrels. I like uh, Moore's like steady and hold the gun kind of position thing. Like Dalton's. Don't like uh, the jump one with um, Lazenby, but Craig is just sort of like, it's like they said, we have 10 seconds to film this. Can you just do it real quick? And he was just like, walk, 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 turn, bang. And they're like, all right, good enough. I would have done hundreds of these to try to get the best one, you know? Yeah. You see what I mean now you've seen it? Oh. Yeah, he does kind of look like he's rushing quickly. But it's one of those things I wouldn't have noticed if you didn't say it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a nerd. So (laughs) the amount of times that I've clicked on... I mean, this is much more of a reasonable complaint than it was too... Too pointy? Too pointy, yeah. It still was too Um, pointy. (laughs) That's ridiculous, Tony. (laughs) I went through like eight different gun barrels for the imagery for this podcast. (laughs) I wanted to make sure I got the best gun barrel. So if I can do it, they can do it. So now he's James Bond. And now we get to better movies. Well, better movie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) With some problems to it, but... That's Quantum of Solace. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. It's a fart in church, but it's it's. I feel like it's not their fault. I'm gonna put a lot of the blame on the writers' strike. I, I think I think there are elements of this movie that I enjoy, but it's just swathed in a lot of just I'm not saying nothing, but a lot of very forgettable material. Yeah, I I feel like in the grand scheme of things, if this was my introduction, like if I just, it's 2008, let me go see the new Bond film, I probably wouldn't be checking out the others. But yeah, that's true. As a follow-up to Casino Royale, it completes that story in kind of the way that you feel like uh, maybe you could have just extended the runtime of the other film a little bit. But overall, you know, I've seen worse. You're never going to hear that as a, an explanation for me liking a movie necessarily. I, I know you hate that. I, yeah. I, I do know you hate that. <laughs> but it's not the worst Bond film. It's just very close to it. <laughs> uh, I'm not big on most of this film as you've heard uh when we're gonna recap everything here um you know we're gonna give our thumbs up and our thumbs down we're gonna start off with a thumbs down the gadgets oh yeah fuck nothing a cell phone it's a cell phone that takes pictures i have that yeah yeah i had that in uh the 2004 so it's like I mean you're James Bond now too. Do I own space? You might. Well, nobody does better seventeen times. To be fair, MI six was pretty gadgeted up with that like that table that just moving around objects across well, not objects, but like the, the pictures and images and stuff like that. Now it's so, a hologram tablet almost. Yeah. So MI six has the gadgets. 
I think if you count that, then you have to count the earpiece <laughs> in the opera or something, you know? Like, What's it got, Jay? It's well, not his. It's, it's not really. It's clear that they were like, oh, we don't need these hokey gadgets and this hokey gun barrel. And he doesn't yeah. need to say Bond, James Bond. He doesn't need to we say Vodka Martini. He doesn't need to have the uh you know get the girl at the end he doesn't need to do, it's like oh my god does he need to be bond like and that was one of my big takeaways from this afterward i remember going okay so you want a jason bourne film you don't want a james bond film yeah like well then fucking watch the jason bourne films I, I saw the first one it's good i haven't followed up to watch the other ones they're probably good but if I wanted a Jason Bourne film, I'd watch the Bourne something, whatever. The Bourne uh, Resurrection or whatever it's called. Uh, that's not Bond. Like, he is Bond in certain parts of this movie, but it's like, it's almost like they purposely tried to make him not Bond and some of the Bond stuff managed to slip through rather than that this was a Bond film that was trying to do something different. So at this point, I genuinely look at these films separately because I can see they are different in that they have gotten rid of the, a lot of the tropes. And even though like I have Casino Royale as my number two, I can also say I feel like a, a golden eye has more in common with a Goldfinger or a Dr. No. Like these movies just feel different. They're completely trying a different style mm -hmm. and i'm just not a big fan of that so the gadgets are a thumbs down i'm assuming all around right <laughs> well yeah music thumbs down i like the score for some parts but another way to die mm. the music in the film is fine so i'm gonna give it a thumbs up but the, the main theme just doesn't work for the film yeah, I mean, the thing that I primarily listen to is the, the main theme, and I don't think that's a particularly good one. So, yeah, it'd be thumbs down, I can imagine. So, as far as our rankings for the themes, Another Way to Die right now does not rank at the very bottom for anybody who might think that that's the case. That's uh, in part due to some other themes that are just kind of not as fun to listen to, I guess you could say. Like, I've got it ranked lower than everybody else does. Um, for me, it's ranked number 26. And Robin Callum haven't done the same, like, uh, where has everybody gone and everything to have 30 on their list right now. But in comparison, Callum's got it at 14 and Rob's got it the highest at 10. Yeah, I like the song. I just don't love it for this film. Like, I'll listen to it a lot, you know? It's in my music collection. It's currently ranked at number 15. It's between License to Kill and The Man with the Golden Gun. Now, I have License to Kill all the way up at number 6. But yeah, Calum's got it at 18, and Rob's got it at 18, so <laughs> it's a total difference. Good song, though. Man with the Golden Gun is uh, one that I can see why it's a little bit lower, but I like that one, too. Um, so, you know, it's not as uh, low ranked as all time high, but it's not one that, uh, ironic. yeah, <laughs> that, uh, 
it's not an all-time low either, you know. So going with the allies, we have no money penny. We have no queue. I hate that. Hate that. So I was pissed about that because it was like you still didn't bring back money penny in the queue. That's annoying. But we do have Tanner back. And we've got Felix back. And we got Renee Mathis back and we got M. So out of those four, I give him a thumbs up. I'd agree. Yep. On the girls, we've got Camille, Strawberry, and she kind of counts, but she doesn't really because she's only one scene and Bond doesn't do any kind of flirting with her or whatever, but Corinne is constituted a Bond girl by a lot of people. So um, thumbs up on Corinne for her little part. Thumbs down on Strawberry Fields and thumbs thumbs up for Camille. Yeah, I'd agree with those mixes. Yeah, I thumbs up all around. Listen, I'm the strawberry. Yeah, like again, I don't. The bar for the Bond girls in a lot of ways isn't that high for me. So, as long as they're not utterly stupid, I'm gonna say thumbs up. I I kind of just feel like like with Strawberry Fields' character, I just get the sense that the only reason she's in this movie is because Bond has to fuck someone. Yep. That's how I feel. She's the one that he can fuck because he doesn't enough. fuck Camille. Yeah, that's not enough for a character for me. And she could have potentially been good if they would have fleshed her out a little bit more, but they just they didn't. <laughs> um, as far as my rankings for different Bond girls with... Uh, they're actually, uh, as far as like the pure attractiveness scale, they're all in the same block with each other currently between Jenny Flex and Miranda Frost. But the character Jenny. rankings what's that? Jenny Flex. I'm just hearing some <laughs> of these names sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh character wise, Corinne's obviously very low because she's not really too much of a character, but um Strawberry, I've got her, you know, she's below Christmas. <laughs> and she's above like Overall, maybe a better character than Honey Rider, I think. Not by much, <laughs> you know. Where's uh, where's Fields go on your list, Cal? I'm trying to find her right now. Sixtieth. Sixty. Yeah. Oh wow, she's really low. She's between Miss Caruso and Marie. Yeah, which Marie's one of those ones people go, "Who's Marie?" She's the one yeah, from Diamonds Are Forever. Cal, name who Marie is. <laughs> She's from uh, Diamonds of Forever. She's the girl that Bond pretty much assaults at the start of the movie. First one to show, <laughs> I think she's the first one to show like nudity in the Bond movie as well. Well, at least like kind of intentional nudity. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, I have Camille below Wei Lin. Yeah. What do you have her on your? Oh, you have her below Wei Lin too. Huh. Yeah, but I have Wei Lin up higher than you have her. Yeah, so. Wei Lin is number twenty-two for me. And uh, Wayland for you, sixteenth, well, fifteenth, uh, uh, fourteenth. If you uh, don't count Money yeah. We all have Money Penny number one still because Money Penny's great. So it's what? like, damn it, where's Money Penny? Well, yeah. I just have a listed there because like you can't she's just have to. Golden. She, she's, well, golden. she's in, she's in, she's in pretty much every movie. So it's like it's hard not to put her in there. And they have a great relationship in most of the films, even in the one where they're not in the same room. They have a pretty decent relationship. 
So then the villains side of things, we've got Craig Mitchell, eh. Uh, Mr. Slate, eh. Elvis, massive thumbs down. He is my lowest ranked henchman at this point. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got a... I can understand it. Above him is, you know, Gabor, Mr. Kill, Gettler. I like Slate and Mitchell more than Elvis, because at least they're just there to get killed, basically. Elvis is an actual character that has no character, serves no purpose. I hate him. Absolutely hate Elvis. Not a fan of Elvis uh, Presley either, for that matter. So, you know. But we got Mr. White, Dominic Green, and General Madrano are the real villains. We also have Greg Beam. Uh... Thumbs up on Greg Beam. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah. We we kind of talked about how he's a charming character. As for the villains overall, though, I think I'm going to go overall thumbs down. Yeah, I'd say that it's an, it's an overall, because Mr. White doesn't really... Well, we see him at the start of it, and obviously we see him at the opera, but he doesn't really play a, a grand role in the, the whole scheme of things. Madrano is... A bastard, and so I think he he does he does a pretty good role there. Uh, Dominic is he's a weak main villain. I think he'd be fine if he was a henchman. If he was like the Truman Lodge to Fran Sanchez, yeah, then he'd be oh, fine. Yeah, I'd be totally fine with that. I think he'd be really good. But the fact that he's like the the main villain, the fact that he has to have that big fight scene with Bond, when you kind of just look at him and go, yeah, no. Yeah. You can't have a fight scene with James Bond. One punch, Bond should knock him out, kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the, he's one of those. Um, I can't remember the video game was in particular, but he's one of those villains that gets like you. you he he st- you st- builds him up, and he get, has like six or seven health bars. Mysterio and then you run into them and just hit yeah, and just hit him with one punch, and he goes down. Yeah, it's Mysterio and uh, Spider Man Two oh, or Spider Man Three, one of the two. Yeah, uh, where they just like he, he looks like he's got eight health bars and yeah it's one punch yeah yeah, I love that so on our rankings for green he is the third from the bottom mathematically he's the third from the bottom for me the third from the bottom for Callum and the fifth from the bottom on Rob uh the only ones that we consider worse Rob's got Kamal Khan and General Orlov because he just really isn't like Octopussy. I am really curious to see if you revisit that movie, though. If that yeah, changes, yeah, I'm gonna have to. Because uh, I know that you weren't well. in a good, uh, good, good mood I when you were watching. I was in a good headspace, so I was just like, ah, let's get to Dalton. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rob has Christados second to last, and Doctor No last. Uh, Doctor No is above both uh, our lists for Doctor uh, for Doctor Green. I was gonna call him. Uh, Callum's got Hugo Drax really lower uh, than I do. Uh, big difference there on Drax. I got him at 13 and Callum's got him at 24. Um, so the only ones that Callum thinks are worse than Green are Blofeld from You Only Live Twice and Blofeld from Diamonds Are Forever, which I have Blofeld from Diamonds Are Forever at my absolute least. Because it's just... I have him yeah. one above Green. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. It's still Blofeld, but yeah. It's just uh, green. The only reason I don't have green lower 
is because I think that Green has some cooler lines than Cristados does. Like, I can't tell you a single line that Cristados has. I've never liked that character. He's kind of charming in some ways, but he's just sort of like there. And at least Green's got a couple of those lines about, you know, like uh, your balls in your mouth and uh, Camille is quite stunning when she's on her back, that kind of thing. So I'll give him a little bit of a boost with that. And Diamonds Are Forever Blofeld is just the worst because it's like the dude's a fucking campy bullshit character. You know, he's, he's dressed up like a woman in one scene just for the sake of like, wouldn't that be funny? Ugh. Was yeah. there any kind of deliberation with you uh, between Drax and uh, Green? Or is it just a natural order? Um, There's not particularly anything like that. But the reason why I didn't like Hugo Drax is because I feel like he was just a complete carbon copy on Moonraker from uh, Stromberg. He's essentially the same guy. This crazy megalomaniac that wants to put a civilization in the sky rather than a civilization underwater. So that's why, that's why he's painted a little bit lower for me. It's not like I actually dislike the character i just felt well you're just doing the same thing with this guy that you did with the previous one i'd like a bit of um variation and the reason why i've got Cristatus up higher is because i feel um I, I i appreciate the fact that he was a swerve villain he was a uh, aris swerve scott <laughs> my kids the reference okay. I see that Rob's uh, adjusting something here. What, here you moving oh, no, around? No, I'm not. I'm not adjusting anything. I was just uh, kind of looking back on some of them just to kind of give my memory a bit of a jog. But now my order is staying as it is. Oh, okay, I thought you moved uh, Doctor Now or something. Nah. It's funny how many villains there are. That's Doctor or Mister Something. Mister Kill, Mister Slate. Yeah, General Sue, General Orlov, General Madrano. General Koskov. General Ormov. Mr. White. Mr. White. Mr. Hanks coming up. Yeah, Mr. Big. Dr. Kananga. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, Mr. and Doctor. He's, uh, if you're not a, a Mr., a Doctor, or a General, who are you? Unless you're Colonel Moon. And you're probably a baby face. <laughs> so those are the villain side of things. Action and humor. I think thumbs down on both. I'll thumbs up the action. Thumbs down the humor. You're going to thumbs up the action when you saw that uh, that car chase at the beginning? Yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it, it's, it was just sort of, eh, it's a 08 car chase. And the rest of the action wasn't bad, so, you know. Yeah, I'm fine to thumbs down both. I'm very liberal, guys. I'm very like, eh, you tried. You tried, kiddo. Rob's Democrats, Maybell. <laughs> <laughs> so the rating for the film, shaken or stirred, I think the fact that he didn't even say shaken, not stirred in this movie or any kind of variation of that is a telling sign that this is a shaken film movie, right? Totally great. <laughs> it's awful. Stirred. I mean, it's dead, yeah. Yeah, it's it's third. Who's got it ranked lowest right now? I've got it at 17, Rob's got it at 16, and Callum's got it at 17, okay. I'm pretty much yeah. in agreement on this one. 
Yeah, this one's not getting the debates that like From Much With Love could have or the difference between On Her Majesty's Secret Service being really high on Callum's and really low on mine. And, you know, I do have Quantum of Solace above On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And it sounds like that is insane because fundamentally there are elements that are much better about Secret Service. But if I'm going to watch one of these movies, it's a lot easier to watch Quantum of Solace. So I've watched it more. And that does give it some bonus points. I also like, you know, it sounds kind of, this is awful. I'm going to, you know, ruin some of my credibility here. I like something like uh, Camille more than Tracy in some ways. Not not always. Not all. (laughs) Uh, She's not, uh, Tracy's ranked higher on my list. uh, Or at least she should be. Yeah, she is. Uh, By like a good, like, you know, 12 spots or something. But like, I don't know. There's something about Camille that I think there's more positives to her in some ways than there are to Tracy. Tracy, if Tracy wasn't the one that Bond got married to, nobody would give a shit about Tracy, I think, in my mind. And yeah, but because she does and she is, she's one of the most important characters. Yeah. So. Ranking wise, the mathematical formula means that Quantum of Solace turns out to go between Octopussy and For Your Eyes Only. Of course, none of these are set in stone. We're eventually going to do a full episode about just the tier list stuff and show everything on screen for everybody. And we'll actually have like a tier list thing to kind of bounce around and stuff too. I'm not going to do it right now. I'm going to think it over. But I think in terms of enjoyability, Die Another Day was better than this. I might have to readjust my rankings because I got Quantum Solus quite a bit above Die Another Day and I quite frankly thought I had more fun watching Die Another Day. (laughs) Yeah, we are going to potentially adjust a couple things and we also have two more movies before even No Time to Die. We still have the the next two, Skyfall and Spectre. So I know at the very least. You remember Spectre when they used to talk about Spectre? Yeah. The Spectre of an old part of this franchise and I will spoil this. I mean, Skyfall is going to be high up on my list. So these rankings are going to be shifted around a little bit. Inspector, not going to be super duper high on my list, but you know, it's going to be above uh, Quantum of Solace. So, <laughs> or it might be, or it might not be. I don't know. I haven't watched it in a while, but so a lot of our rankings, I'm sure are going to stay where they are, but we do still have a few things that could switch a couple things up because sometimes it makes a big difference. If like, you know, say Callum puts Spectre, above uh the living daylights it's gonna bump the living daylights off of its number seven spot isn't that kind of crazy that living daylights is number seven at this point when it was at one point number one i remember when it was number one yeah and license to kill was number one at one point and that's number four so these keep adjusting here and there we'll round it all out but any other uh thoughts you guys have on quantum of solace before we say goodbye you kept building it up as this film that was incomplete and you did not mislead. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would come up with some uh, some more thoughts to say about it, but like I said, my writers are on strike, so. And now we're on to the next film. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, of course, drop a comment below. Tell us your thoughts on Quantum of Solace. Stay tuned for everything else that's coming your way. Hit the subscribe button. Follow everything that we got on there. Follow me at Tony Mango. Follow SmartCountMoment.com for the pro wrestling stuff. Follow what these guys have going on. Uh, Rob is at DudeFelice on Twitter. Yep, I'm at DudeFelice on pretty much every social media platform. Check me out over at Fightful.com. Check me out on WrestleZone.com. Check me out any pretty much anywhere Tony is, I'm right there. So just keep clicking around, and I thank you for your support. Callum? You can follow me on Twitter at WeekMeister14. Check out all the articles on SmartCamera.com, but especially the power rankings. And, yeah, um, check out 2001 Wrestling Odyssey and the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast if you're a fan of retro wrestling from the years 2001 to early 2003. And, yeah, that's it for me. And all the stuff you find from me, you'll find at Tony Mango and under a mango tree. And I got plenty of stuff that's in the pipeline. So you're going to be hearing this towards the end of June or the beginning of July, somewhere around that. We're recording it on June 1st, so it's you know three or four weeks from now. But hopefully some other good stuff has happened in the meantime. And hopefully you'll be enjoying the next edition of this because James Bond and the Review to Kill podcast will return with Skyfall. Skyfall.